2: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: It's one of two things. It's, this is a black or white. It's either underperforming, or it's a poor roster, and that's on me again. So I'm hoping it's underperforming, uh, and if it is, then we can work together and get out of it. If it's not underperforming, this is just the ability that they have. Uh, then we're going to get to that part I don't want to get to, was to seeing, you know, can we place certain players in different groups and try and gain assets to to go into a uh, re whatever <laughs> you, you was the, the word after re
3: alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley we are broadcasting live at the EB granite studio at the Team community ice center and alex the blues are back in action tonight and we get to find out once again if this is a team that is underperforming relative to what their talent level is or if it's just a bad team blues back in action tonight At home against San Jose, Alex will have pregame coverage for you beginning at 6 o'clock. Now is the time when we need to see it, Alex. There was a shot across the bow when Doug Armstrong spoke with the media last week and made those comments that you just heard. There was also a fight at the beginning of the last game where they showed a literal fight at the beginning of the game. They have had moments where it looks like they are starting to come together as a team. But overall, for eight straight games, we have seen the exact same results over and over. And then yesterday, I think it was the last thing, actions or words, that the organization could make before ultimately having to make some really hard decisions sooner rather than later. They decided to send Jake Neighbors down. They put Logan Brown on the injured. this morning, by the way. There was another move. They had to put... uh, Portuzo on IR as well. They brought up uh, Tucker. So this is a team that has now made some legitimate roster moves. They're not huge, but those are the only things they really can do. There's not a whole lot of flexibility with this roster right now. And so as you go into the game tonight against San Jose, it's time. It is officially time against a poor opponent for this team to show that it has something. There is something there to latch on to to believe hey, this can and will eventually get better for the Blues.
4: Man, did anybody else just feel like the 1980 USA team from that pep talk by Herb Brooks? I mean, no, my no. goodness, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> BK over here. I, I I genuinely ask this question. Let's say they go out and dominate San Jose tonight. Does that make anybody feel any better about this team? Because the way that I was thinking about this this morning driving here, if you go out and you perform, you play well defensively, you you get offensive chances, and you just dominate play. And then you go out there and lay the egg again against Vegas and against Colorado and against Chicago. Like You can beat up on the bad team. You did that against the Seattle Kraken. You did that against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The uh, anomaly was the Edmonton Oilers. So a- as much as I want to see them end that losing streak tonight... I'm going to be watching this one, but then what do they do Saturday? Because that's going to tell you the fragility of this team. You can build off of one good game and then add on to it. Or do you fall off after something goes wrong there? So this is your chance, though. Uh, You're absolutely right, BK. I mean, in high danger shots against this season, San Jose has the sixth most in the National Hockey League. And they're right up there with the Colorado Avalanche, the Anaheim Ducks, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens, Ottawa Senators, Vancouver Canucks. Those are all bad teams that give up a lot of high danger scoring chances. So I'm not even going to be focusing, and I know defense is the biggest concern for a lot of people. I'm not even going to be really focusing on that side of things. Hopefully they play well and Jordan Bennington does what he's done all season long. The focus is going to be on offense because if you can't find a way to get around this defense that is led by Eric Carlson, who is not a good defender... And then they've got the uh, the old vet. Actually, I think he's gone now. Mark Eduard Vlasic Pickles. I think he retired. Like their defense is not great. You should find ways to get to the front of the net. You should dominate this one in terms of in front of the crease. And honestly, you should find a way to get out of this offensive run. We we're getting something there. I thought Tanner, Tanner had some insight there. <laughs> I was waiting for Tanner to jump
3: in. I, you asked how much better you feel if you beat this San Jose Sharks team. I, I feel a lot better, dude. Like at this point, I don't care who it comes against. It could come against uh, Minnesota Duluth, oh, and I'd feel uh, good about the fact that the Blues were able to win a
4: game. Scott I, Brunovich played on that team. Come on, the man. The
3: CBC Cadets. If you go against hey. them tonight, I would feel good about a win. I just want to see this team start feeling a little better about itself. I think they've got a confidence problem right now. And if they are able to go up against another fellow NHL team and they get a victory, man, can you imagine how much weight that would take off of their backs? Now, I'm not expecting it tonight. I I think they will probably lose one more. And this this uh, losing streak will get to nine games. I've told you all along when this is going to get turned around. It's not tonight. It's Saturday night. Against Vegas, in Vegas, the Blues are going to get back on track, and then they're going to beat the heck out of the Colorado Avalanche next week as well. We'll get to that, though. Will we? <laughs> I I just want to see them play a clean 60-minute game. I, I know that is the most simplistic of analysis that you could get when it comes to talking about the Blues, but we haven't seen that since Edmonton, the first Edmonton game. And that was it October 22nd, dude. It's November 10th, we're like three weeks removed from the Blues just playing a, a good start to finish hockey game. So if I see that tonight, and even if that results in a loss, that will be progress given what we've watched over the last couple of weeks. Speaking of which, let's play a game. Oh, like saw of guess the line. Uh, Place
2: uh, hey, <laughs> him up time to guess the lines with BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
4: Stop. With this. And
3: stop both All right, Alex, do you think they switch things up? Let's start there. Do you think that they switch things up today for the lines? I mean, obviously, they, they
4: kind of have to. to. I think they kind of have to, right? Because um, you don't have Logan Brown. You don't have Robert Portuzo, and you don't have Jake Neighbors, so you're going to be throwing things around. Um,
3: Can I start with the obvious? Let's start with the Thomas line. Okay. Let's go Thomas, Tarasenko, Bucinavich.
4: Yeah, I would imagine they're going to put that back together because that didn't start together against uh, Philly, and then they ended together. So, yeah, I'll say Thomas, Tarasenko, Bucinavich is spot on. So... I think you'll probably go O'Reilly... And Saad together. Do you put Kairou back with O'Reilly? No.
3: Can we do the Shin line first?
4: Oh, man, just I, because I think it's—I think, I think it's the easier. O'Reilly one's easier.
3: I, I don't because I don't know who that third player is going to be with them.
4: Well, it's going to be Shen and Kairou together. So the question is, is, Barbashev going to be with Shen and Kyrou, or is Levo going to be with Shen and Kyrou? I mean, you're—you're you're, yeah, one guy's going to be on one line and the other. Sure. I, I would say you're probably going to put Josh Levo with Ryan O'Reilly because. <laughs> He's now. I'm going to put this in air quotes right now. He's a goal scorer in the yeah. minor league level, um, and I, I think I think you need a Barbashev with Brayden Shin and Jordan Kyrou. That's why I thought it was easier because I think that's I think that's correct. Well, what are you thinking? They're going to put Alexandrov up with Ryan O'Reilly? No,
3: no, no. What I'm saying is like oh, I think okay. it's easy to say Shin, Kyrou, Barbie. Yeah. And, and I, I would imagine I, I, I it's got to be Levo. But yeah, that's what I would. May, say. I, would. I thought maybe they would put Toropchenko up there. Yeah, maybe. Let, let's start with yeah. the Shin line. Okay. Shin, Kairu Barbie, I think
4: is is the combination. Oh, all right, the Sharby-Roo the line. Let's go. Oh, Show me sharby Boy, that line's going to go off tonight. Put all of your money on Sharbi Rue scoring points this season. I don't even know what line you're so referencing bad. by saying so that. So Josh Levo, Ryan O'Reilly, and Brandon, Brandon Saad. Saad. That's oh, what I would God. imagine is going to be. I miss David Perron. The Saad-Levo line. The Sodlivo line. The Sodlivo. Show me Sodlivo. Thank you. All right, now the fourth line. If you're bringing up Alexandrov, he's going to play on this. You're yep. going to be playing Achari in the middle. You go on Torbchenko, you go on Walker, you go on Pitlick. Why would you take Torbchenko out? I- I'm just asking. I mean, obviously, Torbchenko hasn't done a whole lot, but nobody on that fourth line has done a whole lot.
3: At least I know what Torbchenko is going to do. Like, he's. He's yep. going to go out there. He's going to play a very okay, direct that. game at the net. I mean, is you it, got a big
4: guy there. So Alexandrov? A- is, I think is, he's is the a, other one. You don't call him up unless you're playing. I okay. mean, if you're going to play him, you're going to play him on the fourth line. He's got some goal-scoring ability. So Alexandrov with Achari and, and Torupchenko.
5: Mm. Okay.
4: Okay. Um, Alexandrov, Achari, Pitlick. Pitlick. He got it. I was going to say, Pitlick hasn't played for a while. So you're sitting a, a Walker and Toropchenko. I'm gonna need you to explain this one to me, buddy. Well, you call up Alexandrov because you're looking for a spark, and Alexandrov has got eight points and four goals in nine games for Springfield. I field. get that one. I mean, look at so Alexei Toropchenko, as great as he has been in terms of bringing the physicality. Uh, Torupchenko really hasn't done much than that. And what you've been doing in these last few games is you have just basically not been skating that fourth line. I mean, Torupchenko's ice time, uh, I wanted to pull the – I think he's only played like eight, nine minutes. A 10, 8, 14, 12, 11. So you're not playing him. Nathan Walker was out and then got back in, but Nathan Walker hasn't been doing a whole lot. Tyler Pitlick, if you look at Tyler Pitlick's like analytic numbers, he's been actually creating – offense when he's played, so I think they like that hard no style and then you're going to put Alexandrov in there with the two veterans. Alright, I'm excited. Thank you very much. I guess
3: what I'm confused by is like Torupchenko is the exact type of player that they've been talking about what they need from their entire team. He's direct. He goes to the net. And
4: even while he, no, hasn't been a great, perfect player this year. But so is Pitlick. Pitlick's been direct. Tachari's been direct. And then you're hoping out. Pitlick's barely played. Well, but um, again, look at the numbers that he, when he's played, he's actually created offense. All right. You're going direct there. All right. There's
3: your lines for tonight. Booch, Thomas, Terry. Do you feel good about them
4: getting it right tonight against San Jose BK? I told yeah. you no. Yeah.
3: What? Sad O'Reilly and Josh Levo. Barbie Why'd Shannon, you say it like that? Hey, no. And then your fourth line tonight Alexandrov, Achari, and not Torp. Are we
4: going to do the defense and the goaltending?
3: I don't know. <laughs> Give them real quick. Krugenfall. <laughs> I, oh, I don't know. Pareko and Letty. Tanner, do you have them? Yeah, um, I got them. Is Tucker playing? I would imagine it's. That's not how the game works. Uh, Tucker and. Mikula? Mikula, probably. probably. Right?
0: <laughs> okay,
4: go ahead. Just read them, Tanner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the defensive pairings is Nick Letty, Colton Pragel, Tori Krug, Justin Fogg, and Callie Rosen is back in the lineup, okay. paired with Nico Mikula oh, and Bennington. Kelly. Bennington huh? looks like he's going to be getting the starting net tonight. Oh, well, that makes sense, too.
3: Blues getting back in action tonight. They get back on their winning ways on Saturday. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Want to get his thoughts on the changes in the lineup. Josh Levo going to be with O'Reilly and Saad. You also have a new fourth line, new look to the fourth line tonight. We'll talk about all of that with Joey Vitale at 1130. Coming up next, though, hey, there's a new player that's been connected to the Cardinals. Alex is not excited about it. We'll tell you who that is and why he might be your new center fielder next year on 101
2: ESPN. Bader? We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. There is a move around Major League Baseball today that I think is important for the Cardinals. Is it
4: for mean? Could be significant. That was yesterday, sir. Yeah, but it's just resonating throughout Major League Baseball. Could be
3: significant for their offseason plans. We'll talk to Joey Vitale coming up here in about five minutes or so about the Blues. But Alex, Bob Nightingale is reporting that the Rays have officially declined the option on Kevin Kiermaier. It was a $13 million offer. Or excuse me, option. He adds that Kevin Kiermaier is, quote, an attractive option for the Cardinals, who have expressed past interest in the Rays center fielder. Alex, Kevin Kiermeyer is the guy that I used to compare to Harrison Bader. And the reason why is because I, I'm serious. The reason why is because neither of them is a particularly good hitter. Now, Bader has significantly higher upside as a hitter, but they both have injury concerns. They play probably the best center field, in my opinion, in Major League Baseball. Uh, I, I think you could make an argument. There have been a lot of injuries recently for Kevin Kiermaier. It's sapped some of his power offensively, even from where it was, which was not particularly high. Now he's roughly a 10% below-league average hitter. He, he's not very good at the plate, but he's excellent defensively in center field. And if this team wants to have that back in their lineup, I, I could understand it. If he ends up getting like a one-year, $5 million deal, I could totally see why the Cardinals would have interest in a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer. Is that somebody that, Alex, you no. would have
4: interest in going into the no, season? No, 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 no. Like, you have these already. Do you, though? Yes. Yeah, his name's uh, Delugio. Delugio, he's great defensively. He's not really good offensively. And you know what? You All could right, throw well, him in in the seventh inning.
0: Kevin's a little better than Ben. I
3: hate I mean, to say you're it. getting
0: a dude who hits, like, you're kidding a uh, you're
3: getting a a bench bat. Our text slide is literally having your exact same reaction <laughs> but with
4: more explicit views. <laughs> Like you're well, believe me. If I could use him, I probably would be right now. Like that's a bench bat. How is that making this team better? You're getting somebody who can platoon late in games if you're leading, and you're better defensively in the outfield. I got an idea. How about you just go get a guy who's good offensively and defensively, who can play the outfield for
3: you? Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line from the six three six BK. Sometimes I think your job is just to piss off Cardinals fans. Touche, sir or madam. I want to make you. this very clear. This is not my
4: idea. Yes, it is. This one was
3: reported by Bob Nightingale of USA Today. I would not have a guy like this on my short list. If
4: you want to make this the last move to to just sweeten the pot and put that cherry on top of a World Series team after you signed Carlos Correa and after you made it a trade for your catcher, then go for it. But if this is your offseason where you trade for Sean Murphy and get Kevin Kiermeyer and say, we got ourselves a World Series championship team, I'm out. Tanner?
0: I mean, I kind of agree with Alex on that sentiment. I mean, if you're getting Kevin Kiermaier, he needs to be like the absolute last move and there have to be bigger splashes around. I actually don't mind the idea of Kiermaier if you're bringing him in as kind of the supplement piece and you made a bigger splash elsewhere because he is a really good uh, defensive center fielder. He can then shift Dylan Carlson back to right field where I think he's better at. And then you can have, whether it be Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newpar, Juan Yepes, Jordan Walker at some point starting in left field. It's like, I can understand the intrigue around bringing him in But it can't be like, hey, Kevin Kiermaier is part of the offensive solution with whatever the other supplement piece that is that you bring in like a Sean Murphy. If Kevin Kiermaier is brought in, he is the cherry on top to where you've already made that big splash. You got your impact bat and then you bring him in as just kind of a complimentary piece.
3: I could see them making this kind of a move. Oh, God. Uh, th- th- this, in my opinion, would make a lot of sense for them. I'm not saying that it's something that would make me excited. I also think after seeing the reporting today from Derek Gould, and we'll talk about this, uh, we'll, we'll go further into it later on today, but uh, I, I was wrong, it appears, on how the Cardinals account for Adam Wainwright's salary, and I was wrong, it appears, on how the Cardinals account for Nolan Arenado's salary. The difference between what I thought they would have and what they apparently actually have to spend this offseason is roughly $30 million. Oh, oh, oh! They went from the potential of oh. being able to spend $50 million this offseason without removing anybody from the equation to probably being able to spend closer to $20 million this offseason without removing anybody from the current equation. Now, They've got guys that they could non-tender. They've got guys that they could trade from the current roster. But that's a big difference in what they have available to them this offseason, Alex. And if, if it's just $20 million and you need to improve or they believe they want to improve their outfield defense, somebody like Kevin Kiermeyer, who could be had on a very cheap, maybe incentive-laden deal, wouldn't make a lot of sense for them. I'm not telling you you should be excited about it. I'm telling you we might have to eat our vegetables this offseason more than what I was expecting, though. And and I think if you're, if you're mad at the Cardinals for spending $17 million on Adam Wainwright for next
4: year, I think that's fair. Here's my problem. I, and I understand your sentiment on the payroll, and maybe that is how they're going to do it. This is the loophole that everyone saw coming but didn't see coming when he <laughs> said I, payroll's going up. Didn't. But then... Then defend your other two answers where you said that we need to augment the offense and protect Goldschmidt and Arenado. Who's doing that this season? Is that Dylan Carlson? Because I'm not ready to go there. Is that Nolan Gorman? Obviously not. Is that Jordan Walker? Well, that seems like a lot of pressure to put on a kid that might be ready to go at the start of the season. So you can sit there and say, well, we said payroll was going up and payroll's going up. Yeah, but you also said you're going to augment the offense and protect Goldschmidt and Arenado. What were those conversations like at dinner with Nolan Arenado when you told him this is going to be a World Series contending team when we're building towards that? Because Kevin Kiermaier ain't it.
0: Maybe he was sold on Kiermaier. It's oh, possible. God. Oh, I can't with you, too. So, speaking of moving money off of the
3: current roster, we've got to do this quick because we've got Joey Vitale on the other side. I've read two different pieces this morning from national reporters that I believe are as trustworthy as they come. One from Jeff Passan on ESPN.com who listed the potential trade candidates this offseason. He had Tyler O'Neill in his piece. Another from Mark Feinsand of MLB.com who wrote about the players that he believes could be available. Tyler O'Neill was also on his piece. Do you guys think that now is the time to sell on Tyler O'Neill? Uh,
4: yes, because I don't know if I want to come back to another year like last year. But I also like, what are you doing in your outfield? Because if you're, oh wait, it's Kevin Kiermaier. Oh, we just talked about this. Kevin Kiermaier's coming here, of Kevin course. Kiermaier, let's do it.
3: Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan. Oh my God!
0: There's new
3: part. too.
4: There's your outfield. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think if if that's my outfield, I'd probably rather just stick with Tyler O'Neill and hope to God that I get another MVP performance out of him because that outfield scares the hell out of me, also.
0: See, I'm not afraid to sell low on him just because I'm not sure that you're going to see another MVP caliber year from him. So though you are selling somewhat low compared to coming off the MVP caliber year he had, you're also still selling somewhat higher than I think his value will be after next season if he's here. Because if he puts back together another season where he's dealing with injuries, doesn't perform well, then you're in trouble and then you really can't move on from him. So I, I think this is probably the right time for them to sell. And I understand it is a little bit lower than what his value probably was a year ago. But I think it's... Better to do it now than risk him coming back and then even lowering his value even more and then be another problem next season.
3: That's kind of where I'm at. I I think that it makes sense to move him off of the roster because of the guys that you want to see get opportunities this off season. I also think it kind of depends on what they decide to do for their catcher situation, because if they can't add a whole lot of payroll, which apparently is the case, they're going to have to probably trade for one of the catchers, Sean Murphy, or one of the Blue Jays guys, most likely being the option and if you're going to do that, it might require one of those outfielders that I listed. So you're removing one of them plus potentially removing Tyler O'Neill. Do you have enough to cover for you out there? Well, yeah, apparently because, you know, uh, the former Rays center fielder, Kevin Kiermaier is going to be here. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answer. 65780 is your comfort service text line. Joey Vitale joins us next.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101. ESPN.
3: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the e Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line to talk to Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call and on pregame and postgame with Alex Ferrario tonight as the Blues are back in action against the Sharks. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. How Joey, you doing today?
4: Joey! Joey! Joey!
1: What's up, boys? Hey,
3: just leaving the... Leaving the ice facility as we speak. Uh, doing well, guys. How are you today? We're doing really well. Let, let's start with this. The Blues jumbled up the lines a bit today. What would you make of the new combinations? Well, I tell you what. I mean, I,
1: I like I like spurs of them. You know? I think that Craig Berube is just trying to continue to dig and dig deeper and finding the combinations that that are hopefully going to work. I mean, hopefully you find some magic at some point. You know, to start out with the top line of, of Robert Thomas, that's the one that really looks the only one that looks the same with Tarasinko and Buchnevich. You know, to me, the Achari and um, Alexandrov and Pitlick line, that one looks a little different simply because we don't see Torbchenko in the lineup, which was a bit of a surprise to me. But like Craig Bruby just talked to the media about, you know, he thinks that Torvchenko just needs a little bit of a reset. He missed all of preseason, if you remember, dealing with a shoulder injury. It's been a hard grind for him. He just wants him to sit above, watch the game. He wants him to be harder on the forecheck and, and to grind a little bit better than he's doing right now. He thinks he's thinking too much. So this could be a really good reset for Torbchenko. And then, of course, uh, the one line with Josh Levo, uh, O'Reilly, and Brandon Saad, just veteran guys that know how
6: to play the game,
1: right? This is why you bring up Josh Levo. He's a common presence. He's been in the game a long time. You're hoping that you know, his personality, his style, can compliment Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad to kind of get those guys up and running
4: as well. Joe, what what should the expectations be for a kid like Nikita Alexandrov? Because if people don't remember, he made it all the way to that final game in preseason. And I remember you and I talking about him post-game, saying he wasn't going to make the team out of camp, but he would be one of the first guys called up and with four goals and eight points already through nine games for Springfield.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, this is a really interesting kid. Uh, I really enjoyed, enjoyed him in preseason. You know, I skated him there in August at Centene. He's one of the younger kids that came in early. You know, the thing that really stood out to me about him and his game is his ability to compete really, really well down low. I mean, he's got great hands, but he's competitive. He's got a good snarl to his game, which is what Craig Bruby talked about. That's what he loves. Craig Bruby also talked about the fact that he has really good details to his game. You know, one of the final preseason games of the year was when he, he got inserted into the lineup, Alex, and, and I think it was kind of a surprise to some people because you heard so much about – You know, the Jake Neighbors or the Logan Browns or whether it be the Pitlicks or Levos in preseason. We kind of forgot about Alexandrov in the sense that maybe he wasn't on the score sheet as much as those other guys. But it's that it's that game beneath the game that Craig Ruby likes so much. So even though he wasn't necessarily in the spotlight, he was doing details of the game. Uh, that translated very well to the NHL style of hockey, whether that be making a wall play or finding the open lane. When coming out of D zone, he's got to stick on the ice. He wants to be the way out. Things like that that really grabbed Craig Berube's attention. And, of course, one of the first call-ups. We just talked to the young man here. Uh, very excited. Although a Russian last name, he was born in Germany, because his dad was playing professional hockey in Germany. So a native of uh, German, but he's got a Russian passport. His parents, unfortunately, won't be able to make the game. It was too quick of a notice, but they will be watching from Germany here tonight, or hopefully listening to 101 ESPN. But it'll huh. be about a 5 a.m. It'll be about a 5 a.m. start for them. They're eight hours behind, or ahead of us. Excuse me.
3: Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Joey, one of the things that's gone awry for the Blues so far this season is their special teams. What have you seen that has changed from where they were, which was, I mean, elite on both units a year ago, to where they are right now?
1: You know, BK. I think the biggest thing with the special teams, when you look at how how things have evolved, I think that you know Alex and I talked about it briefly in the pre game last game, but I think the biggest thing that they're missing at the moment is a one time threat on the power play, and I think they're still trying to sort through that. We had Pavel Buchnevich; he, he just he threw a howitzer away. Um, at the last game where he's got that one-time ability. Justin Falk has a right-handed shot. He's got that one-time ability as well. So I think that you look at, you look at some of the things that are, are happening with this team, I think they get a little bit too predictable on the power play, and I think every good power play needs a one-time threat. And I talked about in the Boston Bruins game, and there's no better play. And if you, if you have replay, you can go back into the, the archives and look, watch Patrice Bergeron's game when he goes in that third period. You know, he's in the middle. And it's just a one-touch play from Marchand. It's a great play, don't get me wrong. Bergeron is right in the middle. But it's Noel Achari, the Blues, weak side forward on that play that gets over to him a little bit late. And you look at why. Well, because he's got to respect the shot of David Pasternak on that far side. David, of course, is a one-time uh, right-handed shot. He's on that left circle, very similar to what David Perron was last year. Alex getting right-handed shots on that left out are dangerous. Uh, Boston has it. Washington has it. The St. Louis Blues had it last year with David Perron. And right now... We just do not have that one-time threat. When you have that, everything stems from there. All your success stems from there because of the PK unit, your opposing PK unit, uh, tonight it's going to be the San of the Sharks. You have to respect the one-timer. And right now, I just don't know if we have that threat from a consistent basis. And from there, that allows the PK, knowing there's no, there's no one-time threat, you can just kind of scatter and go and pressure all different areas and maybe you're not keeping an eye on a certain player like you would for the grade eight or let's just say a David Pasternak.
4: Joe, do you think there's been any consideration of, of using Pareko as that one-time shot on the power play? Well, I, there, there has been. I think there has been in the past. Uh, but
1: the problem is I think Colton sometimes it can be a little bit sporadic. Uh, players have joked at times that he's hit his own players in, <laughs> in front of the net. Um, so, I mean, listen, it's not a mindless It's not a mindless position where you're just shooting pucks at the net. Uh, there, there is the ability to look plays off like Torrey Krug does. Uh, but to have that combination, I do think that that's a possibility. I think that Craig Brew is going to kind of continue to dig in the well and find it but to me Justin Falk right now it seems to be that right handed shot option that he's looking for
4: Joe what about the penalty kill because uh they, they they have been struggling in that area and I talked with Jamal Mayers on pre-game what was it the other night and he said as much as people are going to focus on power play he said the penalty kill is is more concerning because when you're giving up those goals it sucks the energy out of the bench
1: It really does. I mean, you got to have a good PK to win games. Everyone knows that. Um, I think this is Craig McTavich who had a good start to the season with it, but still now dealing with some personnel issues where you are missing the presence of a Tyler Bozak and you're missing the presence of a Marco Scandella. You know, things are getting too spread out. I think as the PK struggles, I remember being in those situations. You, you feel as if you know, you're waiting for things to go wrong because you know at some point they will based off of how things have happened. And when you do that, when you have that approach, what happens, you get very, very passive, right? You get very, very passive. And that's the worst spot you can be when you're killing a penalty is be passive. So again, you're fragile. You know you've been banged up over the last six, seven, eight games. And you're kind of in this waiting mode, like you're waiting for something bad to happen. And as soon as it does, you're like, here we go again. So uh, with that mindset, you, you kind of sit back a little bit. And that's the worst kind of penalty kill you can have. You've got to have guys uh, that aren't overly aggressive, but certainly aren't overly passive. And it's got to be that balance. You've got to know when to go and when to come back. I mean, there, there's times where I think there was a bobble puck over the last two games in Philly and Boston where I'm thinking up in the booth, that's, that's a go. Like When you see someone's numbers, when their back is turned to you or it's a bobbling puck in the corner, that's when killers have got to jump. you got to jump routes. you got to put pressure on hard because they don't have full possession and they're not looking at the play. And there were times maybe the Blues didn't go. And now whether it was the end of a shift or whatever, but it's the point is they still weren't going. And I think that's because they're just hesitating a little bit because they're feeling like they don't want to run out of position. And that's where that confidence, that swagger is where – They they just know when to go. They're going to go. They're going to be committed to going. And then from there, everyone can read off that player that's playing aggressive. So, um, again, it comes through just not having a lot of success. And I think that just kind of fragile mindset has led to some hesitancy, which in turn has led to more goals against.
3: He's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus Sharks down at the Enterprise Center. Joey, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight. Here's to hoping that the Blues get off the schneid.
1: Hey, thanks, boys. I appreciate your time. Talk to you next week.
3: Absolutely. It's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I the, the special teams need to be better. It, it really, as much as we've talked about the defense this season, and listen, it's been an issue, and that that's the forwards, that's the defensemen, it's everything other than really the goalies have been fine for the most part so far this year. The Blues ish the biggest issue for them is that power play that you got that we were speaking of with Joey and their inability to score right now at five on five. I was reading earlier today over on The Athletic and our buddy Dom wrote, of course, about the St. Louis <laughs> yeah, Blues. I
4: don't know how Dom works because he's so pessimistic when I'm optimistic. But when I'm pessimistic, he's optimistic. That's welcome to the life of a numbers guy. Good um, Lord. It, typically,
3: the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. No, he basically said he basically said that hey the blues are getting unlucky right now and when you look at their shooting percentage what they did a year ago was unsustainable but what they're doing right now is unsustainable in the other direction like they are they are missing the net so often or they're just like hitting a crossbar, or they're hitting the post like whatever it is they're getting super unlucky right now with their shots and that will eventually correct itself it just has to correct itself sooner rather than later like it's getting late early now here in St. Louis.
4: Yeah, and I mean, look at the scenarios that you're pointing out. I mean, go back to that Montreal Canadiens game. I mean, you missed two wide-open nets with a rush up the ice. The game against the Flyers, Robert Thomas visibly frustrated when he pulls the puck to go top shelf on the goalie and misses top shelf. So, like, you could tell they're getting visibly frustrated with that. Uh, Bobby Plager used to say it all the time. The hockey gods will reward you when you work. And those unlucky bounces... Those bounces go your way when you're working in front of the net. Look at Philadelphia. Their first goal of that game the other night came from them just putting bodies in front and the puck bouncing towards Thomas Grice. So Craig Berube's been saying it. It's it's every hockey player knows Like when you're struggling offensively, you go to the front of the net, unless you're Brett Hall where you go away from the net and you just start taking shots. But... It's that, but the other thing is you're missing the net a lot too still. Yeah. So that's the other area here Doug even talked about it in his press conference a couple of weeks ago. Like he watches practice to see if these guys are hitting the net. So it's two areas that they are unlucky, but it's two areas that the Blues make their own luck on the ice. With Alex
3: Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk a little bit more about that with Mike Rupp coming up in 15 to 20 minutes. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
3: 780 is the air comfort service Tax line for questions and answers. We'll get more into this coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, but just as a starting point here from the 309 guys are the Cardinals shady backwalkers for the PS payroll <laughs> deferment tactics that they're hiding behind as an excuse to not actually add payroll. Yes or yes. Uh, well, yes, you didn't really give us a whole lot of options here. 309. I like that. Shady backwalkers. BK's a shady backwalker. <laughs> I could. I will explain this a little bit more in depth coming up in the next segment. But I, I do think that the the deferred payment in Wayno's deal, how they account for that, a with the payroll and b with the like actual cash spending for the team this year, is literally the single biggest question that we have to answer for the off season. And if they decide, hey, we're accounting for all $17 million this year, even though only seven of it is being paid to Adam Wainwright make, this year. That doesn't hey, make any
4: sense. I hear
3: you. Then Explain it, that to me like I'm five. We can do that in the next segment. But it, if that is how they feel, I think that Kevin Kiermaier is a very realistic offseason target for this team. I think that instead of going out and signing multiple bullpen arms, they might... Get one of them and probably not one of the guys that we were targeting. Instead of talking about Contreras or Swanson or Bogarts or Nimmo, we should probably be focusing our attention on one of the trade targets at catcher. And then like maybe if the market comes back to them, a Jock Peterson. Oh God. The off season is suddenly changing in terms of its tune and tenor. And I am frustrated by that. And I will allow any of you guys to make your own Conclusions on how you feel about it, but it all comes back to how the team accounts for the Adam Wainwright and Nolan Arenado money.
4: Well, then to answer... It the, all comes back to that. Well, then to answer the question, yeah, you're shady backwalkers <laughs> because you didn't answer the other two things that you said, protecting Goldie and Arenado, and augmenting the offense.
3: From the 618, hey guys, who is the catcher that you would most want the Cardinals to acquire?
4: Um... I mean, from everything you're telling me, and you're the MLB insider, not me, BK, uh, Sean Murphy and Wilson Contreras are the same player. I actually think... offensively. I actually think I'm starting to like more and more this Alejandro Kirk from Toronto. Um, And I know, Tanner, you mentioned that you were a little concerned that he's not able to play the the distance that you want from a catcher, but I think if you get 80 to 100 games out of your catcher and he's going to provide really good offense, I'd be all for that. So Alejandro Kirk, I think, is the one that I really like. Yeah, Kirk would be my number one. Uh, option. I, I don't think that he's going to. Danny Jansen's great,
3: too, those goggles. Yeah, and he's an excellent hitter. He's probably going to win the Silver Slugger this year. Um, I, I think that Alejandro Kirk would be number one for me. I totally understand why everybody is interested in Sean Murphy. He's a very good player that can help you both offensively and defensively. I like Danny Jansen as well. All of the guys that we've been talking about that are trade targets for the Cardinals on the... Uh, Market, I think they all make a lot of sense. So, any of those, if they ended up trading for them, I'd be totally in on that. As for the free agency market, I am interested in Wilson Contreras and I am interested in the like bargain bin shopping. Martin Maldonado, Tucker Barnhart, those guys that are
4: glove first almost exclusively. I'm really not interested in those guys anymore now that I know they're not spending any money anywhere else. I
3: I don't know that given what he's going to cost this offseason, I'm all that interested in A Vasquez. for example. He's fine offensively, but not good by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably going to require a multi-year contract, and I don't think that I would be interested in committing to him long term as my catcher so I I think I would either go super bargain bin at catcher or getting one of the guys that I think can be a long term answer for me at the position 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers Uh, let's get this one from the 314 hey guys on a scale of 1 to 10 what is your level of confidence that the blues will break out of this slump
4: 4 somewhere four and five because i think the offense breaks out of this i was looking at this they've they've had around the same high danger scoring chances as around half of the league so it's not like they're not getting those we talked about that a little bit ago defensively they're actually allowing the bottom 10 in the national hockey league of least amount of high danger scoring chances so they're not giving up those they're actually just getting beat on shots that should be easily stopped and goaltending has been fine but I also think I'm getting to the point now where I'm a little worried that this team is just mentally fragile. And when you get to that point, it's going to take a lot to break out of it.
3: I think I'm at a similar spot as you are right now. Probably a four would be my level of confidence. I think, Alex, if I said which is more likely, and we do that on Wednesdays, not Thursdays. That's but true. It's what what is more day. likely? The Blues make a trade of significance before January 1st, or the Blues
4: are back into contention by January 1st. Oh, Blues make a significant trade by January 1st. It's not going to be easy to get back into contention because, I mean, you I I heard Randy mention this earlier with JR, like, 91 points is what you need to be in the wild card spot. That's what the wild card team had last year. I mean, that would mean you'd need to get like 79 points or something for the rest of the season, which is doable, but I mean, you're talking about going on runs. They've done it before, so that's the part where you have to always throw that caveat in, but um, by January 1st, I mean, if this team continues this struggle and your rest of November is not easy, um, you could see some type of move by December.
3: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, listening to Joey Vitale earlier today, he mentioned the one-timer. The Blues had a one-time shot. Oh. And they Here got rid of it and David Perron. I'm not saying that David Perron is the reason why the Blues are struggling this year, but do you think
4: his loss is the biggest reason why the power play is struggling specifically? Yes, because you need a one-time shot. Great power plays have one-time shots, but... You can get by without those. You have to have a better scheme than what they have because it's too predictable. They're trying to force that one-time shot without a guy who can shoot the puck. Um, I think that you can... I mean, like, let's go back to the beginning of the season. Pavel Buchnevich scored the first goal of the season on the power play, and it was a one-time shot. So they have guys that can do it. I think it's just a matter of figuring out how to keep the puck alive because what, what their issue is, at least for my opinion is it's not so much they don't have the one-time shot. It's a lot of one-and-dones. Like, you get into the zone, you take a shot, it misses the net, it rims around the board, and it's going out. There's no puck possession on the power play. And the other thing I noticed, too, and I was talking to Lou Corrick about this at that last home game against the Islanders, watch other teams' power play. They slowly close in on the penalty kill when they have puck possession. The Blues just keep it very outside the face-off dots looking for their I feel shots. feel like they've always done that, though. I feel like Even they, when they were playing well on the power play. But that play. works when you've got the power play. Washington doesn't close in. Washington spreads out because they want to get that pass set up for Alex Ovechkin. But Boston, Boston scored that goal with Patrice Bergeron in the slot because they slowly closed in on St. Louis to where that's going to be a grade A scoring chance. So that's an area that you wonder if they start to try and experiment with also.
3: Coming up in 15 minutes, I want to ask Mike Rupp about this. How significant is it to lose that one-time shot on a power play? And does he think that's the biggest reason as to why the Blues power play has struggled this year we'll talk to Mike Rupp about that coming up at twelve fifteen. Mike Rupp of course former NHL player now with NHL Network but coming up next we've kind of referenced this a few different times during the show so far today the Cardinals payroll situation is confusing and it really depends on if we're talking about cash versus and you know the NHL or uh, the NFL cap and right now The Cardinals are kind of stuck in the middle. We'll explain what it means for their offseason and why it probably means we're all going to be left a little disappointed. I'll explain why next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The good news is we
1: anticipate our payroll going up next year. I mean, I, I know it will. Um, you know, obviously, we had a lot of success at the gate this year, so thank our fans for that. Um, so, you know, you get past the pandemic and, and where we are today, we're definitely one of the few clubs that, that from a attendance standpoint, got close to to uh, pre pandemic numbers. And so, yeah, I definitely f- know that our payroll will go up.
3: That is an interesting way to phrase it. Because I think he will technically be correct. Yeah, now I saw the loophole. The problem for you as Cardinals fans, by the way, that audio that you just heard was John Mozalock talking about the Cardinals' expectations of increasing their payroll in the offseason. Is it only on paper that that ends up being the case? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Now... If you remember back to when Adam Wainwright signed his contract, Alex, I said, I think this is a really, really good deal for the Cardinals. And the reason why is because it opens up their ability to spend on other players. You keep the player that you wanted and Adam Wainwright on a 17 and dollar one year contract, but 10 million dollars of that was deferred in the way that they made it work. I know this is going to be a lot of math, but it's necessary to be able to explain why we are where we are today. million of that is deferred. So they were only actually paying him $7.5 million in cash for 2023. The next $10 million will be given to Adam Wainwright from 2024 to 2033, $1 million per year. The Bobby Bonilla deal, that's basically what they were doing with Adam Wainwright over a 10-year stretch, $1 million per season. Now, what I did not know at the time, but do know as of today, thanks to Derek Gould, the Cardinals consider that as part of their 2023 payroll. I would have assumed that they consider that to be cash payments from 2024 and beyond. That is not how they view it, apparently. They will have the full $17.5 million on their payroll for the upcoming season. That changes things significantly, but that's not the only one, Alex, that applies here. Nolan Arenado is paid $35 million this upcoming season. It's a lot of money. Now, I had them on the hook for less than that. Why, you might ask? Because $16 million is coming directly from the Colorado Rockies. Now, some of this is a little bit of jargon, and it gets into, okay, how are the payments made, but whatever. Basically, they will make equal payments of a little more than $5 million each of the next three seasons to account for that $16 million that Arenado's getting. You don't care about that. The way that I accounted for his salary, Alex, was that the Cardinals would pay $20 million this year because they're quite literally not paying that $15 million. So that is $25 million that is different from what I previously expected them to have on their payroll for Waino and Arenado to what they are now expecting to have on their payroll for those two same players. The same players are on the roster. None of that changes. But the way that they are accounting on the payroll for those specific players is vastly different. And if they are going about it the way that Derek Gould says they are, and I have no reason to believe that he is wrong – Their current payroll is at roughly $165 million. You add that up, and according to Derek Gould, they're expecting the payroll to be somewhere in the $180 to $185 million range this year. That means they have roughly $15 to $20 million to spend, barring them removing something from their current roster. So, why is that important? because if they had that 20 million dollars that i had previously expected them to have they have close to 50 million dollars to spend instead they might have 25 that would all but take them out of the shortstop market that would all but take them out of adding two significant bats this offseason unless probably both of them come via trade so the reason why i wanted to explain all of that Is because I've said all along the North Star of the offseason is where they expect the payroll to be and where they have it currently. Now, a follow-up question I would have is, all right, that's fine that you say that the payroll's going up. But if the payroll in terms of the cash that you're spending is actually the same as it was last year, have you actually increased payroll Or is that simply an accounting method that from a PR perspective, you can now go say to your fan base, thanks for investing in your team. We reinvested in the club, even though you didn't actually invest any cash spending in 2023. If you were doing that, the payroll should go up to roughly $200 million next year to account for that $20 million gap that is in the Wayno and Arenado deals. So I think that's a fair question to ask. We can talk about that at a later date. Alex, given the numbers that we now know,
4: how does that change your expectations for the offseason? First of all, I feel like Zach Galifianakis in the hangover when he's trying to count cards at the blackjack table. I see a lot of numbers coming my way. Uh, To me, what you just explained there, John Mosaylock CYA'd. He covered his ass with the uh, payrolls going up, and now that you hear the audio again, he's like, "I can almost guarantee you the payrolls going up because and he, he will technically be correct." Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's he, almost hard for them not to increase. He payroll knew it. Now. He knew it. He knew Arenado was coming back. He knew Adam Wainwright was going to be coming back. And you're like, "All right, well, there you go, right there with this team." But if that's the case, then explain this comment from John Mozelak, BK.
1: You know, we know there's work to do. We know we have to do some things to improve our club. You know, there's obviously some some obvious needs. We're going to have to address the catcher, have to look at at how we want to augment our offense, and then also, as I mentioned earlier, you're always in need of pitching.
4: How are you going to augment your offense if that's the offseason you're saying and we've got $20 million to spend? Augment. Make something greater by adding to it increase. That is the definition of augment. So tell me how you're going to augment this offense now while payroll's going up, but it's already going up do you know what the Cardinals catchers did
3: last year offensively? Yeah, I do. They were the worst team in baseball in terms of the production that they got from their catcher position. Yeah. But Austin Romine was in that category. So like, come on. I mean, Yachty was probably their worst hitting catcher. I don't know. You've seen Austin Romine's numbers. I did. Um, (laughs) If you simply add one of the catchers, and, and it literally does not matter who we're talking about, one of the catchers that we've been discussing, you will, quote unquote, augment
4: what are you, the offense. But what are you trading to get those catchers? Nolan Gorman? Large Newpar, but But what I'm saying is you're taking away from the offense that you have right now to add a piece. So what you're taking away, if it's Nolan Gorman or Lars Nupar or one of these pieces. But and they're probably
3: also saying to themselves, yeah, but we expect Jordan Walker to be the equivalent of whoever the player is that you're
4: saying they potentially. And you know remove. what? If you risk it for the biscuit there, maybe it pays off. But we've seen rookies that have been highly touted for this team that come up and don't pan out to be the guy that they were expected to be. So to me, what I just heard with the numbers and himself saying that, and if this is the route they go, you're doing exactly what you did last season by saying we're going to rely on Dylan Carlson, we're going to rely on Tyler O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, and Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker to all be those bats to fix our offense. And you know what happens when all of those bats are relied upon in the postseason? You get bounced in the wild card two straight years. So, I I mean, frankly, I'd be frustrated right now if this is the route they're going to go. I just feel like I had one pulled over on me by John Moselock. I hear you and I think that that is a
3: fair fair read on it. They never came out and said that they were accounting for it the way that I did. I just assumed that that would be the way that they would account for it, and I was wrong, and I need to apologize to all of our listeners because I might have gotten people's hopes up
4: in the same way that I got my own hopes up. Yeah, we did that with Matthew Kachuk too. It's so, so,
3: So that's on me for not understanding the way that this would work for them I, I just I, I think that this is the wrong way to go about it, and it's very frustrating. But to your question of how are they augmenting the offense, they're adding a catcher who's going to be better offensively than what they had last year. Whoopee. And that will technically augment the offense. Oh, Mike right. Rupp, next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are happy to go out to the Brown and Croupin celebrity line to be joined by Mike Rupp, former NHL, or you can watch the Stanley Cup champion and NHL network analyst Mike Rupp on NHL tonight at five o'clock today and throughout the NHL season. Mike, we always appreciate the time. We wish it was under better circumstances here for the St. Louis Blues. How are you doing today?
5: Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely. So let, let's start kind of big picture with this team, Mike from what you've seen from them, what has changed from the team that we saw a year ago, that was in legitimate contention for a Stanley Cup championship, to the team that we've seen today, that for the first time in franchise history has lost eight straight games in regulation?
5: Yeah, it's tough. It's um, it's a tough go for for the Blues right now, and I feel like being a being a player and from the my days playing, it's like you just need it to stop. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to stop the bleeding here. And uh, it's really hard to kind of look forward. You just got to um, end the losing streak, right? That's a big thing. Um, this is a team, though, that I will say this. And I, it doesn't mean that things haven't been bad. This doesn't mean that things are great right now for the St. Louis Blues. But they're not, they're not dead in the water on this season. I think this is a team that's got a lot of things in place. They've got, uh, they've got a GM who personally, I think, has got one of the best gauges on where his team is at over the years and does what's appropriate for that team. Um, So I I think that they've got a lot of right things in place. The bottom line is you had a bunch of guys last season that had career years and it's always tough when you have that because it's almost like you can't expect that to be duplicated by those individuals. But then it's like, what's going to pick up the slack the following year right now? It's like every player is, is having a tough start this team's not scoring goals they're struggling uh, the, the 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 name of the or the the hot topics last year with this club were hey this isn't your typical blues is a young team now led by thomas and Cairo. um jordan Cairo's struggling like he's struggling immensely this year and it, th- that's part of it like guys you're going to have those moments well who's going to pick that up well ryan o'reilly's struggling too um you look around, and you know it's. You can go across the lineup. There's not really anything that's going their way, right? So, I've always, being in the locker rooms, it was like I've had coaches say, and it, it rings true. We can have guys. We can have two, three guys with an off night, a bad night, actually, because we'll have other guys to pick up the slack. But we can't have six, seven, eight, nine guys have bad nights, and that's kind of seems what what is happening here in St. Louis. I guess the one uh, underlying. Thing that sticks out to me no one's running away with that division uh, there's a lot of good teams or who we thought was going to be good this year that are struggling um colorado's not running away with anything in the central minnesota wild has been underwhelming this year from what they did last season i thought the national predators were going to be an explosive team probably pushing for the top of that division they look nothing like what we thought So the St. Louis Blues are just kind of another one of those teams. Everything's in striking distance. They're not out of anything yet. They just got to stop the bleeding.
4: Uh, Mike, you mentioned Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas going through it a little bit this season. And, of course, that's where everyone is focused, not just in St. Louis, but nationally because they signed that big contract. You've been around younger players in the locker room, guys who have signed contract extensions that are younger. Uh, Is there anything teammates can say to these guys, or is this just more on them figuring it out themselves?
5: Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily anything a, a teammate can say. Um, I think it's more of what a teammate can do to try to lift it up, you know, and try to – I mean, you obviously want to encourage guys and, and get guys thinking a certain way. I mean, I'm not inside that room, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not insinuating that this is the thing, but you don't want to lose that edge, right? Like last year, Jordan Kyver played with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Robert Thomas looked like he got a shot out of a cannon. He was making plays. He was one of the league's best playmaking uh, forwards. Uh, so it's about not forgetting that, but also not losing maybe that ship And I think it's easy to say, well, they got their contract. I, I don't think that that's the case, but sometimes I, I guess my point is it's not a decision. Oh, I got my, I got my contract. I'm going to go in cruise control. I don't think that's the case. I don't think these guys get those contracts at that's the mentality they have it's, but if you just kind of let off the gas and you forget that ship that you had to to earn that, it can make a big difference. So I don't know if it's necessarily anything to be said to those guys. Um, I think it's a matter of, it's a challenge. It's their next challenge. They're young players that have been fantastic and they had a great couple seasons and, and kind of really, they, they, earned every, every bit of their contracts, but this is where it gets challenging. It's when you're coming into St. Louis two years ago, you're coming you your game planning for 91, You're game planning for um, O'Reilly. You're, you're game planning for different guys. Teresanko, like I mentioned, uh, you're not game planning for Cairo and, and uh, Thomas. Well, now you are. So now it's going to be harder. You're going to get everybody's best. You're going to get the best matchups to slow them down. They know that you guys are the, 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 the X factor for the St. Louis Blues to play a fast game. It's going to take a little bit, and you've got to find a way to get over that because it, it's one thing when you can score 30 goals the first year or first time in your career it's another thing to try to duplicate that is now people are watching for you i think that's the challenge that those young young two are, are facing right now
3: Mike Krupp is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can watch him on NHL Network. He'll be on NHL tonight at 5 o'clock today and throughout the NHL season. Uh, Mike, I did want to ask you about this team's struggles on the power play specifically. They, they removed David Perron from the equation in the offseason, and he was a huge piece of it. With that one-timer from the right side, he was a, a big reason why they were so successful, and they were one of the top power plays in all of hockey last year. This year, it's been a struggle for them on that group. You've been around the NHL a long time when you see a power play that removes a shot like that that David Perron had. How difficult is it to be able to replace that and then to figure out what the identity of a power play is moving forward?
5: That's a good point because I, I think a lot of people outside of St. Louis. I mean, we all know how valuable David Perron is and how good he's been. He's he's one of the more underappreciated offensive gifted players in the last number of years. Like he he puts up numbers and he's a gamer. We know this, uh, so that is a void for them. And it's funny. I'm doing a tape today on uh, kind of previewing uh, the Carolina Hurricanes versus. Uh, Edmonton tonight and Carolina's power play is kind of struggling too. Excuse me. And they're not lacking any talent on that power play, just like St. Louis. The thing, I think that some of these power plays when they struggle and, and every power play will struggle through stretches. It's just the nature of it. And, uh, but it's about, all right, let's just start putting some staples in place. Things that we know, uh, foundational things that we know, not necessarily the opponent. We want a shooter who's going to establish that. I want to know if I'm on the power play that every time that puck goes back to player X, that puck's going to the net, or at least it's going to be there's going to be an attempt to that. So now you're, you're, you're keeping the, the penalty kill honest. You're all on the same page. And when you know the shot's going there, now you can go to the right places for puck retrievals and you can keep the thing alive. Um, a lot of times we talk about it dumbing it down or simplifying it on the power play. Uh, but all that means is just being predictable for your teammate. I think you got to be predictable for your, your your power play teammate to dig out of a, a, a power play hole. And once you get that and then you start getting that swagger, now you got the, the penalty kills adjusting to that, now you can start having fun running your routes. But until then, I think they need to establish a shooter. Who's that going to be? It was David Perron. He, he established that. Someone establish it. Don't be so unselfish. Be selfish for a little bit until we get this power play going.
4: Mike, uh, one thing I am curious about, just also kind of big picture again, is the Blues aren't the only team that are going through these struggles. Now, I know Pittsburgh snapped the streak last night, but they were also in the midst of a seven-game losing skid just with some games that went into overtime. From your perspective, is there a major difference between what the Blues are going through and what Pittsburgh's going through?
5: No, so I guess that's the thing here. And um, There's probably five or six teams that we thought were going to be good, some probably that we thought were going to be better and all the teams we thought that were going to be good this year are struggling or have struggled. And there's the, the talk of the, the league is the teams that are playing outside the boots a little bit and playing ab- above what we thought they were going to be. So the, the league's fun right now. I don't think there's any clear cut anything right now. I mean, you, you legitimately probably have, I mean, you're talking the St. Louis blues who I believe are last in the Western conference. They're not out of anything. So you've got that whole conference in the mix. Seattle has been, um, been a huge surprise. Uh, I mean, Vegas, like top team in the league. Are you kidding me? I didn't see that coming, you know? So uh, there's there's a lot of things that are, that are going on here. And, um, you know, I I just think that it's uh, there's a lot of really good teams that are underperforming. And this is the the part, at least I know from playing um, the years I have winning games this time of year. It's good. You want to win games whenever you have games. You want to bank points whenever you can. It's a little bit different than winning once this calendar turns into December and then once it turns into February. It starts getting more and more difficult. I think some of these teams that had great starts are going to come back down to earth. And of these five, six, or seven good teams that are underperforming, the St. Louis Blues would be in there. That doesn't mean all five, six, or seven of them are going to get out of it, but I think the majority of them will, and we'll have to see which ones do.
4: Mike, final one that I wanted to ask you about, and it's kind of a a personnel slash ties into the Blues question. Uh, Blues defense has kind of been getting shot at this season also in terms of their struggles. And a player that was placed on waivers yesterday, Mike Riley, uh, by the Boston Bruins. Uh, Is Mike Riley a guy that you think might tie into St. Louis and provide them some help if he were to be claimed?
5: You know what, it's it's funny because uh, I don't – I think Mike Riley is a serviceable defenseman who can come in and he can, he can, he can provide you some depth, right? So, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to come in and save the day. He's not going to, he's not going to change a drastic look of your, of your defense. But I feel like when you're, when you're a decor and there's many decors in the league right now that are struggling, sometimes just adding another player into the mix, just kind of spices it up a little bit, right? You want that accountability. You want to know, you don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable and uh, not just for that, it's not just a warning shot to your current defenseman, but it's also, hey, buddy, you're going to get an opportunity here. So if you can play, we need it. We're going to play you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's something that would make sense in St. Louis. It's something that would make sense in a lot of different places because the guy, can he, he can play. He's a pro. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that that's something that a lot of teams will look at and, and, uh, and put that claim in for him.
3: He's Mike Rupp. You can watch him on NHL Network throughout the NHL season. He'll be on NHL tonight coming up at 5 o'clock today. He's a Stanley Cup champion as well. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon.
5: Awesome. Thanks, guys.
3: Thanks, Mike. That's Mike Rupp joining us here on 101 ESPN. You mentioned Mike Riley there at the end of that conversation, Alex. Now, Mike Riley, one thing that I think could hinder the Blues putting in such a claim is that he does have a $3 million cap hit, not just this year, but next year as well. And I, I don't know how the Blues view their left-handed defenseman next year. I mean, Nico Mikula is coming up on a contract, so uh, m- maybe they would say, hey, this is a guy that we think can be a third-pairing defenseman for us for the next two years, and we just don't have to worry about that going into the offseason. That's that's very much possible, but that is something to, to consider just because it's not an expiring deal. Everything that I've read about Mike Riley, and I'm not going to pretend that I've watched a ton of him in the past, but he appears to be kind of what Nick Letty was last year. Puck-moving defenseman, not super physical, but can come in and should be able to help you. He's only 29 years old. It's not like a guy that's 35, 36 on his last legs. I think he makes some sense for the Blues. And if I'm not mistaken, and I I could be wrong on this, but I I believe the Blues right now would have the number one waiver claim. Mm -hmm. So if they want Mike Riley, they can get Mike Riley. And oh, by the way, earlier today, the Blues decided to put Robert Bortuzzo on IR. I don't know how long he's going to be out. I don't know if you've seen an update on that, Alex, on how long they expect him to miss. But this could be somebody that could come in and help you out with some of the depth there so you don't have to be playing Callie Rosen every night.
4: Yeah, real quick. So uh, Bortuzzo, it's IR. It's an upper body injury. The only thing I can think of with him was from the fight. But I know he played a majority of the rest of that game. Since it's IR, it's seven days retroactive to when the injury happened. So, like, you're only missing a couple of games with Robert Portuzo, unless it's a longer-term injury, which I don't anticipate that being. Um, I I see a bunch of people saying, great, dumpster diving for another defenseman. How many more lefties do we need on this defense? Here's my thought process with this. Mike Riley, if you look at the analytics on him, he's a really good two-way defenseman. He's not a top-pairing guy, but he's somebody who could play on your second pair, third pair, probably an overqualified third-pairing guy and an underqualified second-pairing guy, somewhere in between. Yeah, he makes $3 million, but if if this team doesn't have the ability to turn it around you're at the point where you're probably going to be selling off pieces and looking at retooling. And if Mike Riley is a guy who you believe, who I think he's 28, 29 years old, if Mike Riley is somebody who you think, you know what, he adds depth to our team and he provides us the opportunity to not have to play Callie Rosen every night or if Tory Krug's struggling, it gives us a little flexibility to sit a guy if we have to, I'd say take a chance on it. Now, you got the cap space. Yeah, it's going to be tight for you, but again, you're trying to turn it around maybe Mike Riley can add a little bit of spice into your game and turn it around, and he's a complimentary piece. And if not, maybe he's a piece of the answer when you go into a retool mode.
3: Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to Ben Heisler at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, could the Cardinals find a big bat via trade? It might be necessary. We'll also talk about how the payroll situation accounts for what they're going to be able to do in the offseason. I think we can go ahead and put the shortstop talk to rest, Alex. Awesome. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: For and Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Emotions are high.
4: Yeah. BK's getting a little, a little pissy over here. I'm testy. That's so what happens when 30 Tanner don't become 30, man. You get angry.
3: <laughs> the Cardinals off season is not going as I had hoped the blues have lost eight straight. Our pets heads are all falling off. Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> it's going poorly right about now. Derek will had a great piece earlier today on the St. Louis post dispatch that changed everything about what I expect from the off season. Here's the quote. The plan is to get closer to the spending trajectory that the Cardinals were on before the shortened season in 2020 in the empty stadiums of 2020 from 2016 to the planned roster for 2020, the Cardinals had an opening day payroll that grew from $145 to $168 million. Limited ticket sales led to a step back for the last couple of seasons. At the pre-pandemic pace, the Cardinals would have targeted a payroll of $183 million in 2023. That is roughly the neighborhood that they are expecting to see once again this year, anywhere between $180 to $185 million. So, boom, that's the number. 180 to $185 million. That's what is the important North Star that we finally have, Alex, of what the Cardinals are going to have to offer. Here's the problem. I thought they would have that as the North Star. That was what I was going off of. Unfortunately, I had the Cardinals at $140 million in payroll Derek Gould has them at $165 million in payroll.
4: Does anybody really use the North Star anymore? Uh, that, uh, the
3: Cardinals do. They, they, they use their North Star of a budget. You have a budget at home, right,
4: Alex? Yeah. it's. <laughs> I open up the wallet every day. I say, you know what? Spend big, honey. We need that shortstop. And so you, uh, you operate on a budget. The Cardinals operate but on I a budget. But I operate on a budget year to year or month to month. I don't operate on a budget of what I'm going to be spending for the next 10 years and say, well, that's going into this year's budget. Well, they do. So... Uh, the the
3: reason why I wanted to bring this up is because their their off season is going to change from what we had been talking about. We no longer need to bring up any of the car, any of the shortstops. Right.
4: Hey Janet, yep. you and me both.
3: Hey, listen, man, there there are a lot of people that have been trying to get me on this path all off season, and I'm officially here. Wel- welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. I'm on the sad train. <laughs> we went from Choo-choo. in the beginning of the off season uh, because I I was wrong. Talking about Correa, Turner, Swanson, Bogarts, Contreras, Nimmo. We could write all of those names this off.
4: This guy also told me Matthew Kachuk was going to be a
3: blue. Yeah, okay. We could maybe still continue talking about guys like Benintendi or Jock Peterson. I I frankly think those guys are off. We,
4: Jim Bowden said Jock Peterson's not a Cardinal, <laughs> yeah. so he's like, don't even think about it.
3: He has personality, and he's a little bit too much swagger, uh, according to Jim Bowden. Well,
4: that doesn't work here.
3: Alex, I I think that the guys that we should now be looking at, and I could be wrong on this. I clearly was wrong on the beginning of the offseason as well. But uh, based on this reporting from Derek Gould, I think the Cardinals will trade for a catcher. I think it'll be one of Sean Murphy from the A's or one of the two guys that could be available from the Blue Jays. And I think that would be a really good addition. I, I think Cardinals fans should be happy with either of those additions. I also think a guy like Kevin Kiermeyer, I know nobody wants to hear it. He makes some sense for this outfield. I think maybe if the Cardinals do want to add significant payroll, they'll look at making a sizable cut from the roster. So you could be looking at maybe trading Jordan Montgomery and his $10 million salary this offseason. Maybe trading Tyler O'Neill and his $5 million salary this offseason. And and that's the way you get to, okay, we, we've opened up a little bit more payroll for us to be able to work with here. I, I think that's probably the route that they end up going. How do you feel about that, Alex?
4: I mean, not great. As John Moselak once said, which I can't believe those anymore – I just, I don't feel like you're improving your roster. And I know you're going to get a catcher who's better than anything that you got from the catching position last year. And you know what? Maybe they come in and they do augment the offense. But how are you replacing what Albert Pujols provided you last season? Because the only reason you survived last year was because of Paul Goldschmidt's MVP season, Nolan Arenado's MVP-like season, and Albert Pujols' ability to come out of nowhere in the second half and start hitting bombs.
3: So you asked earlier, how do they augment the offense if they remove Tyler O'Neill and add one of these catchers. I swear, if you say Sean Murphy and
4: Kevin Kiermaier...
3: I'm actually going more towards your side of things. I didn't account earlier for the fact that they're also removing Albert Pujols from the equation. And if you're replacing Albert's production last year with one of those catchers that I just said, you're you're downgrading there. Mm -hmm. So where is the other upgrade, right? You're you're downgrading from where you were at your number five hole hitter last year, which was Albert Pools for most of the season. And
4: to acquire one of these catchers, you're giving up something that was impactful for your offense at times this season. And Gorman, Newt, Barr, O'Neill, wherever you're going with it.
3: So, it, their answer to your question and to my question might be Jordan Walker. And, and, and this is where I,
4: I think that that is a mistake. It's unfair. You're gonna you're gonna do what you did to him. What's happening to Dylan Carlson right now?
3: So. The reason why I wanted to bring that up is because there have been multiple reports that the Blue Jays might be interested in also moving Teoscar Hernandez. Now, Teoscar Hernandez comes with a $15 million salary for this season. He's an arbitration. He is a guy that can consistently hit you 25 home runs. Last year, he was like a 260 hitter. He strikes out a good amount, doesn't walk a ton, but man, the power is very real. He is basically what... Tyler O'Neill was at his peak, but he does it consistently. Alex, what if you decided, you know what? We're going to do a one-stop shop. We're going to make a swap with the Blue Jays. They need an outfielder that is left-handed that gets on base at a higher clip. They need a starting pitcher. We have Lars Noopar. We have Jordan Montgomery. And then you're going to have to give up more than that. It's, it's going to take a good haul to be able to go this route. Maybe you end up giving up like a a Mason Wynn or something like that in this in this type of a deal. I, I don't know specifically what they would be looking for, but would you consider like a Teoscar Hernandez plus one of their catchers for Newt Bar plus Montgomery plus something? I- could that be the bat that you're talking about?
4: I mean, it definitely can because I mean you're getting a 29 year old guy who is coming off of a se- this one wasn't his best season, but prior to that he had MVP votes in 2021 and 2020. So like you're getting a legit bat. I'm assuming his defense is above average with what we've uh, what what he plays with in in Toronto. So I mean you're upgrading here, and if you're getting in this package, you mentioned you're getting one of those catchers also, correct? Yeah, the Danny Jansen or Alejandro Correct. Kirk in this spot. So you're upgrading the two areas. You're fixing your offense. What's that something else, though? Because I don't. if I'm not going to get one of these shortstops, I don't know if I can give up Mason Wynn now. Like, I have all, been all aboard the get-rid-of-Mason-Wynn train. If you're going to get something in return, I said that with Juan and Soto. And I just
3: mentioned his name because he's a guy that has value. I, I don't know specifically yeah. what the Blue Jays would be looking for. I don't know if it would take that much. Like He's a big piece. I, I'd be but... willing
4: to listen to any offer that you can put together for that because I think you're augmenting the offense that we just talked about by making that trade because you're getting two. often Offensive pieces in Hernandez and the catcher, and you're upgrading defensively in two positions also.
3: Tanner, how would you feel about that? You, you get your catcher from the Blue Jays. You also add a, a significant offensive piece. And I'm just saying to Oscar Hernandez because I, I think he might be the best bat that's available realistically this offseason. And it sounds like the Blue Jays just kind of want to reconstruct, reconfigure the way that their roster is right now. And the, the Cardinals do seem to have pieces that would make sense for them.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good deal for the Cardinals. I mean, you bring in Hernandez. I think he provides some more power to the lineup, and I think they are looking for some power to bring in. That kind of helps supplement that offense, and then you get the catcher that you're looking for. So I I think it's a good deal for the Cardinals. I I would definitely consider it, especially if you're going to have yourself where it's hamstrung to less money than what you were thinking. So I I think it's one of those moves that it makes sense for the Cardinals. I just don't know if they're willing to do it because – Based on like who we're talking about, where you're saying, you know, you send out these pieces, I'm not sure how much. I, I, it doesn't feel like a Cardinals move because I think they want to spread out the money more evenly rather than making like really two splashy moves and that two quote unquote splashy moves by in the same trade and getting just two guys and that really be in the off season.
3: I mean, you're, for what it's worth, the money, like what you would spend on one of Jansen or Kirk, so you get one of those guys to be your catcher, plus Teoscar Hernandez, that money would be the same as if they had simply signed uh, Wilson Contreras
4: in the open market. Yeah, so yeah, and I'd be fine with that because you're getting two bats over just one bat.
3: Right, and, and you're giving up something. You're giving up something of significance in return, and then you're also removing, potentially in the scenario that I presented, $10 million from Jordan Montgomery. And the only reason I added him into this deal is because the Blue Jays are reportedly looking for more pitching, like depth pitching, And maybe Montgomery would be a guy that they would have interest in. I don't know. But I'm just throwing this out there as a hypothetical. Something like that could make sense. And the reason I bring it up is because I think instead of looking to the free agency market, it might end up being a scenario where the Cardinals this offseason, and this has been their MO in previous years as well, no pun intended, They probably will be looking more towards the trade market guys that are in arbitration that maybe are getting a little bit more expensive than what their teams want or guys that just the other team is trying to go in a different route than the profile that that player brings to the table, specifically thinking about Teoscar Hernandez here. Maybe they end up going with like Teoscar Hernandez from the Blue Jays. They make that deal and they make a Sean Murphy deal with the A's. Those are the kinds of things that I think now we should probably be more open to. I I didn't think that we were going to be going down this path, but here we are. Welcome to Cardinals offseason. Son of a coming up in 10 minutes, we'll talk to Ben Heisler, managing editor for Betside and want to get his thoughts on the football weekend that lies ahead. But next it's time for the junk drawer here on 101
2: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase.
6: Open an Achieve It checking account today.
4: Ben
3: Heisler of BetSided coming up here in about five minutes or so. But, Alex, I've got a question for you because this is something that has affected my own personal life. But I also saw it on Twitter the other day as well. This was the tweet. I have a relationship question, and I believe that it might be polarizing. You're watching a series that you and your significant other watch together. It's the season finale. You're 43 minutes in, and you realize they have been asleep for the last 10 minutes. Oh, yeah been is here it, is it wrong to finish that episode on your own
4: no i don't think so Six five seven eight is the air comfort service text line what do you do in this spot and my wife wouldn't get upset with me about that because she knows that she fell asleep and says so, so i fell asleep and she'd say did you finish it and i said yeah i was awake you, you wouldn't lie no i wouldn't lie to her. i'd say yeah i finished it so then she can watch it and finish it also so
3: can i be honest
4: yeah Would you get get right? This is just us? Yeah, nobody's listening. I would lie. I would say I didn't finish. Really? So Kara would get upset with you? I don't think she would. You just would lie because you feel bad? Yeah. Let me reverse it. If Kara did it, would you be upset with her? No, of course not. I don't care. See, I don't either. I actually, sometimes I prefer, and this is going to sound awful, and this has nothing to do with my (laughs) wife. Sometimes I prefer to just watch shows solo because it's just easier to sit down And just get through them fast enough rather than having to find time in a crazy life where my wife works and I work and we got two kids. It's impossible to find time to watch the show and go through it at the same pace because sometimes I've got three hours available and sometimes she's got no hours available. So, like, I prefer to watch them separate and sometimes I prefer her to watch them separate. That's how I
0: am too, yeah.
3: Yeah, you and yep. the... T. An inflatable
4: <laughs> doll, man. She can't watch those at the same time as you. you got to be careful. People are going to no, hear Jamie that. Ruther- oh, okay, yeah, you're <laughs> right. It's-
3: no, it's fine. There's no context oh, here. Yeah. Sorry,
4: T-Bone. <laughs> no context doesn't work in this.
3: Um, I, I I am in a spot where, like, me and my wife like watching shows together. We-, we just started a new one yesterday, Alex. I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix. It's called The Mole. And oh, yeah. have you ever seen, like, I don't know if you're a Survivor guy or Amazing no, Race. Everybody's it, yeah. got the their show that is kind of this version right yeah. netflix started a new one i i like the concept it's interesting to me that's the type of show that you almost have to watch at the same pace like if you're going to watch you kind of have to do it at the same pace because otherwise now you're all over the place and <laughs> it, it can get dis- it can get yeah. tough to be able to catch up with one another i think like if you're watching the office and you miss an episode you're okay Right, you can eventually pick it back up, and you didn't miss a ton, really. Like a sitcom is a little different than a, hey, these ten episodes. Th- there's stuff that will happen in the future that you need to rely on what you saw two episodes ago, and that's where I think it can get difficult.
4: Yeah, like if it's a if it's a show live TV, that I would feel bad, and I would stop watching, and then I'd say we'll just watch it recorded later. Like I wouldn't finish it because that I'd feel bad. But if it's like a Netflix show, you can watch it whenever. So like. Go watch it. But you're right. Like those bigger shows, like when when, when my wife and I watched that Bachelorette season where oh the gosh. girl that went to Lindenwood <laughs> with me, we all remember that story. I don't watch the Bachelorette often, but when we watched that season – like, I would have felt bad finishing that without her. But if it's just some random show that we're watching, yeah, I wouldn't feel bad about that.
3: 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, I'm the one that always passes out first. My girlfriend usu- usually watches the end without me, and I'll end up finishing it the next day. That's the consequences of me being a tired guy. I, I think that's fair. Kara, I, I, for, so for, in our relationship, Alex, my, my wife is the one that typically falls asleep first. And she has just gotten to the point. She's, like, the, the worst person to watch shows with because, because of that. She'll get 30 minutes in, and she wants to watch a specific kind of show. And I I, I will allow her, like, she, you've got full reins. It's all you. You get to decide what we're watching. And then we get 30 minutes in, and it's like, wait, we're watching this because you chose it, and now I'm stuck watching what you can wanted I, to watch. Can
4: I ask a follow-up yeah, question? Do you allow your wife to, like, lay down and get comfortable? Well, sure. Yeah, I don't do that. If what? we're gonna watch a show, I tell what? if we're gonna watch a show, I tell Katie because this always happens. We start the show, Katie's in the chair, I'm in the chair, we're watching. And then Katie does that, oh I'm gonna sit back and grab a blanket, and I go, Nope. No, no. <laughs> she goes, what? I said, do not get a blanket. Do not lay your head on a pillow because then you're going to be asleep in five minutes and I'm going to be stuck watching this solo. So I make her sit up until we get to at least that, the final 30 minutes because then she can finish it.
0: That is the least unsurprising thing I've heard from you all day. Like that fits you yeah. 100%. There's,
4: hey, but I, I she does the same to me. If I get a blanket, she goes, no, no, no. Sit and watch the movie. I'm like, all right, cool. We're on the same level.
3: Yeah, I do. Definitely do not prevent my wife from getting comfortable on the couch. I I, I can't relate with that one. That's wife. why
4: you buy uncomfortable furniture. Oh, that's we it. We just have wooden chairs in our living room. That makes and sense. Only, it's kind of like Tanner's apartment. He's Alex Ferrario. <laughs> that's <laughs> Tanner Hendrickson. Out. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie.
3: Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of more likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved. But next, Ben Heisler of BetSide joins us to help us prepare for the weekend ahead in the NFL. Bet Ben Heisler next. You're on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario that's Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN we are happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend Ben Heisler of Betsided.com you can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis B-E-N-N-Y-H-E-I-S Ben joins us each and every Thursday to help us preview the football slate Heis we appreciate the time as always man how you doing today
6: um well, it was uh, nice and warm here in Kansas City and all of a sudden the rain just started pelting. So it might be coming your way. So enjoy this warm weather and uh, decent weather while you still can. Yeah,
2: it's
3: supposed to be I think twenty nine degrees 39 here on degrees. Saturday. Thirty nine degrees Save here on Saturday. 10 um I am well, going to down? a I'm going to a on Saturday heist. They yeah, had some the this option. trash. Of doing it outside or inside, and they chose outside despite the
4: 39 degree high on Saturday. Hi, it's so true or looking false? Forward to that. <laughs> Hi, it's true or false? You hear that? You're not
6: going to that wedding. If <laughs> you've already, I mean, if you've already made the commitment to go, then you have to show up. But okay. I mean, that's listen, that's on them because instead of everybody looking dapper and sharp as the bride is walking down the aisle, you got people in parkas and ponchos and rain jackets. I'm hey, wearing a beanie. i don't
4: care. I'm wearing a beanie. <laughs> oh, you're a not you're not a beanie guy, man. You are not a beanie guy. Look, the dog even agrees with us with Heiss. <laughs> you are not a beanie guy.
6: Oh, Luna, shut up.
4: Heist, I tell I tell BK that all the time and it never works. <laughs> All right. Let, let's preview
3: this slate for the weekend.
4: I'm going to be honest
3: with you. It's pretty ugly. There, there are not a lot of great games that I'm looking forward to watching. Let's start with tonight's game between oh. the Falcons and the Panthers. Listen, the, the only thing that's interesting about this one is the betting perspective. Do you like a side in this game? Heist between the Falcons and the Panthers Falcons right now, a two and a half point road favorite.
6: Yeah, I, I don't mind the Carolina side, and I think a lot of it is due to the fact that it went up to three and immediately went right back down to plus two and a half. Remember, the Panthers team won on the road, if not for D.J. Moore taking off his helmet uh, a bit too prematurely. There's all sorts of issues right now with both sides defensively. You know, Atlanta should be able to run the ball. Marcus Mariota has been uh, taken off at least six times a game over his last several games. Uh, he's possibly in play for an anytime touchdown. It's a good value at around three to one. Uh, Cordero Patterson, also a guy that I like to get into the end zone tonight. And you know, a lot of these Thursday night games, especially with what we remember from this game, um, very high total at the end. I think there was a combined 37 points scored in the fourth quarter. And then again, in overtime, a couple of weeks ago, a lot of these division rematches tend to be on the under and you're all now dealing with the Thursday night trend. That's gone 16 and six to the under, over their last 22 games. So uh, right now it's over that key number of 41. I I don't mind taking the under on on 41 and a half. I I think you're not going to see a whole lot of points, even though there are a couple guys that I believe are good bets to get into the end zone.
4: Heise, I got a question. Uh, What the hell is Vegas thinking? Because the the Tennessee Titans are up minus two and a half favorites at home against Russell Wilson and the Denver. Do they really think that bye week benefited the Broncos?
6: (laughs) Uh... Probably to a certain extent, Denver still obviously not having Bradley Chubb in the mix is going to make an impact. Although, if you're looking at both of this, both of these offenses, we got a total guys in the NFL, the National Football League, um, of thirty six and a half this week. It's That's amazing. Just, by far and away, just the the grossest total on the board. I, I don't really care for either side. I, I suppose if I had to lean one way, I, I don't mind Tennessee. Um, Mike Vrabel has his team well-prepared, even with a lack of talent, especially on offense. Uh, I I do think that Malik Willis opened up some eyes with uh, some of the the throws that he did make. Um, But there's just not enough weapons other than Derrick Henry to go around. And and Really, I I think Tennessee defensively has made some serious strides. Um, I know that Russell Wilson looked better in his last start, but there's still plenty of issues with Denver on offense. I don't think the bye week is all of a sudden going to open up everybody's eyes and Nathaniel Hackett's all of a sudden going to become a top-five coach. So don't like really either side. I suppose I'd probably lean Tennessee as a short favorite at home, but this is not going to be a pretty game, given the fact that the Titans are 6-2 and two against the spread at home and you have a total that's sitting at under 37.
3: Heiss, I spend my basically entire day on Sundays watching football, and so I've seen a lot of the Seahawks and the Buccaneers so far this season. In what world have the Buccaneers been better than the Seahawks? So much so that they are a two and a half point favorite in a neutral site game. Why? What what am I missing here?
6: uh, Maybe the fact that the Tampa Bay is finally starting to get some more guys healthy on their offensive line. Maybe the fact that uh, Vita Vea uh, was finally available and, and could cause disruption up the middle. In that game against Geno Smith, you're you're absolutely right, BK. From all accounts this year, if you look at a lot of the different measures, Seattle's been the better team, and they've been really, really impressive. And I think it goes to show uh, that Pete Carroll uh, is well deserving of NFL Coach of the Year awards. In fact, I wrote an article this week at BetSide saying that even though Nick Sirianni is the uh, consensus favorite by a mile, if you're looking at any possible underdogs, it's very difficult not to make the case for Pete Carroll. Because not only has the offense continued to succeed without Russell Wilson, the defense that got gashed in the first three weeks of the season, all of a sudden is now the number one team in the NFL over the last three weeks in yards per play. That's a sizable impact, especially at a key betting statistic, to watch this team really turn it around on both sides of the ball. I'm on Tampa Bay only because I felt that that number would move. I thought it was good value at the beginning of the week to get it at minus one. And sure enough, it's now at minus 2.5, possibly even minus 3 at some books. But, yeah, I I think if you get it at 3, Seattle looks to be the live play here, given the fact that Tampa not not being at home, uh, having all sorts of issues away from home, uh, makes plenty of sense to me if you're on the Seattle side. I, I just like the number originally on Tampa Bay just a little bit more.
4: Heis, I can't decide who I like more in a Sunday afternoon matchup between a team that has a coach who doesn't know how to call any offensive plays and has never been a coach before, or a team that can't score any points in the Las Vegas Raiders.
6: Uh, the Raiders have some issues, no doubt, but, I mean, it's it's Jeff Saturday. Like, there's I, – I, they they really went out and got Jeff Saturday <laughs> – to coach an NFL team when he hasn't had any head coaching experience other than at the high school level. I was talking with Matt Verderam, our our fan-sided national NFL insider, about this game, and it kind of feels like what the Houston Texans wanted to do with Josh McCown before the NFL basically said, no, you you can't do this. That would look horrible. And then the Colts just basically said, screw you. We're doing it anyway. I I have no doubt that that Saturday has a solid NFL acumen, and he's well-respected, but you still can't, I mean, the line has gone from three and a half to six. And yeah, the Raiders have plenty of issues, especially defensively, but the Colts have shown no sign of life on, on offense. Even if Jonathan Taylor plays, it can't protect Sam Ellinger. He can't throw the ball downfield. I would probably use this as an opportunity to tease the Raiders, given the fact that the Colts do have a solid defense. Right now it's at minus six. So you bring that line down, it's Raiders pick them, maybe tease them with a team like Pittsburgh. Uh, that's a short underdog at home where Mike Tomlin has been incredibly successful over the course of his career. You can move that line up to seven and a half. But yeah, there's not a lot of confidence in really either of these two plays right now.
3: Heiss, and this will be my last question. We're talking to Ben Heisler here on one-on-one ESPN. You can find him over on Betsided and on Twitter at Benny Heis. What is your favorite play of the weekend?
6: And ask your dog the dog what their
4: favorite play is too. Luna's not happy with us right now.
6: <laughs> no, she's she wants to go play fetch in a in a rainstorm, and uh, that's, <laughs> I mean, who can blame her? Like,
4: really? Hey, my one and a half I, I, year old daughter likes to go swinging in a rainstorm, and she does the same thing. She just screams.
6: Right? Like, like, what, what are we doing at this point? Um, <laughs> I, the, the, the few plays that I've made so far. This week, um, you know, I, I was on the wrong side of, of Buffalo, unfortunately. That's gone all the way down to three and a half. I teased them. Uh, I might get that play as a result of what I actually teased it down to. So Is that's, that that's just because of the Josh ideal.
3: Allen injury status heist?
6: Yes. It's, okay. it's purely based off of Josh Allen. And, and frankly, there's uh, the question of whether or not Minnesota becomes a favorite if he's ruled out. Sure. I don't think so. And that's even with Buffalo dealing with some some issues in their secondary and being a little bit banged up. I, I'll, I'll give you my, my favorite play of the week. Um, the, the line isn't there anymore, but every indication says that this is the, the way to go. And that's the over in the Detroit lions and Chicago bears game. What a time to be alive. Justin Fields and the Chicago bears have the league best offense. They have scored the most points on their drives over the last three weeks. You have it with the Detroit lions offense that has been in terrific in spurts this year starting to get everybody back healthy, going up against the bears defense that especially in the first half is the worst defense in yards per play allowed. And in points per game allowed uh, over the past three weeks. And also throughout the entire year in the NFL, this line has gone from 46 and a half up to 48 and a half. But I I still feel like if you can get it before it goes to 51, uh, I just don't know how either of these two defenses stop each other. There's too many playmakers. There's too many guys that are electric in space, both with Justin Fields and DeAndre Swift. And Amon Ross, St. Brown, Chase Claypool gets another week to get acclimated to Chicago. He's a really good, useful weapon in this offense with how Justin Fields likes to operate. It's weird to talk about plenty of points in a Bears game at Soldier Field in November, but it's going to be cold, but the wind isn't going to be an issue. I, I think you see plenty of points in this game. So I like Chicago on the money line. I also like the over in this game.
3: If you are playing Daily Fantasy this weekend, that is the game to target, uh, in my opinion. So I I really like that game a lot for the over. No I, doubt about it. We appreciate the time, as always, my man. Enjoy yourself this weekend. Go get out there and play some fetch in the rain because your dog yeah. deserves it. and We'll talk with you again next week.
6: No, thank you for, uh, for that optimistic look on uh, going and getting wet outside with the dog. So thank you. It's-
3: it'll be great. Enjoy it. That's Ben Heisler of Betside joining us here on 101 ESPN. It is wild how much our expectations have changed from where we were going into the season to where we are today. Alex, the game that you mentioned with the Broncos against the Titans has a 36 and a half point over under. That includes Russell Wilson. The game that we think is probably going to be the most one of the highest if not the highest scoring game on the weekend includes Jared Goff and Justin Fields as the two quarterbacks. What a time to be alive! Can't the play 2022 that one. NFL
4: season. There's two awful defenses going head to head. And... and- like legitimately good offense. I mean, or at I, least I, productive offense. I am having the internal debate right now of saying I'm going to sit like a Chris Godwin or something on my fantasy team for Chase Claypool because he's playing against Detroit. I I would not do that. I would well, not. Do I that. don't listen to you with football advice anymore. Touche. Coming up in
3: 15 minutes. Are we getting close to the point of a trade making sense for the Blues
4: captain? We'll talk about
3: that coming up at 1:30. More likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is here. Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, here
2: on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers On 101 ESPN Look at what's happened to me I can't believe it myself Suddenly I'm I can't believe you would forget Believe It or Not
4: What
3: when you bots? So My bad, nobody I'm corrected me It's not more, more likely to happen It's Believe It or Not today Six, five, Take seven, it
0: T-Bone! Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wind and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just
2: me.
3: Six five seven eight zero I mean, is the know. air comfort service tax line <laughs> for believe it or not. That's on me. I said it's more likely to happen. That's a Wednesday thing. I thought it was still Wednesday for some reason. I'm a little rattled today.
4: I'll be honest with you, Alex. Thirty, man. This is thirty. Believe it or not, Alex. This downhill from here. We will leave
3: this offseason, and the biggest Cardinals acquisition will be the catcher that they trade for.
4: Actually, I won't believe it. It'll be Kevin Kiermeyer. <laughs> oh, I don't even think no. they're going to trade for a catcher. They're going to say, well, we got Andrew Kisner and Ivan Herrera on the way. We don't want to block those two. Listen, I'm feeling pretty
3: pessimistic today. I am very confident they will not do that very confident
4: yeah i'll I'll believe this one that's going to be your biggest acquisition and you know what make it the right acquisition if you get alejandro kirk i might be more buying into this team than uh sean murphy so but i'm in somebody said t-bone is the songbird of our generation it's like
0: fergie and jesus thank you it's true too uh i'm gonna believe it too i think catcher will be the position that they will uh will be their biggest upgrade i don't know if it'll be like the biggest in terms of Dollar because Murphy's going to make like 3 mil, I think, in his first year of arbitration. So it may not be in terms of that sense, but I think when you look at like the numbers of everybody involved in the offseason acquisitions, he'll probably be the one that you look at as the best one.
4: Should- <laughs> Just say it, man.
0: Should I pretend to be optimistic?
4: No, no God, oh, no, because then we get blamed for telling everybody and getting their hopes up.
3: <sighs> We're
4: going to be real with y'all.
3: I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I, I-, I am... I hope that I'm wrong. I really, really, really hope that I am wrong. But man, everything that I have read today and seen from Derek Gould, I, I, I looking back on it, we said previously, hey, somebody's going to be wrong either than Jim Bowden and John Denton side of things is going to be wrong or we're going to be wrong. And uh, guys, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Damn it, we were wrong. I, I I think that we are gonna be the ones that are wrong. What is it that Jim Bowden said that they would do yesterday? He said they would add a catcher.
0: It was add catcher, a bullpen
3: pitcher. Bullpen or no, arm. he said
4: no. He said Quintana catcher and, and a then utility a utility bat, a utility bench bat. I Think that feels right. Kevin Kiermeyer, Jose Quintana. God, please be Alejandro Kirk. I,
3: honestly, I would be fine with any of the catchers that they've been talking to or in, in conversations. Around. I want... Either of the two guys from Toronto. I would prefer Kirk come with you, but he's also going to be more expensive to acquire with uh, prospect capital. And if they get Sean Murphy, I think Sean Murphy's a really good player. So I, I'd be fine with either of those. But yeah, I, I'm i starting believe to think it that might it be. Or it. Or not. 65780 is the air comfort service X line for believe it or not. Guys, believe it or not, Tyler O'Neill's traded this offseason.
4: I, I'm going to say not believe it because I don't know how you're fixing the outfield unless you do go after this T Oscar Hernandez with the Toronto Blue Jays. You're obviously not signing anybody. And I don't think they're going to start the season with Brendan Donovan, Dylan Carlson, and Lars Newpar as their outfielders. Uh, so I'm not going to believe this. I think they'll run it back with Tyler O'Neill, unless some type of big trade becomes available.
0: I'm going to believe this. I, I think they're ready to move on from Tyler O'Neill. I think they'll sell him. We talked about this earlier. I think you're selling a little bit low but it's not as low as it could be if he has another down year. So I think they'll move him, open up a little bit more payroll flexibility. I, I think he's gone. I don't know where he goes, but I don't think he's a Cardinal come 2023.
3: I'm going to believe this as well. I'm not sure where he's going or what they're going to get for him. That That is something that I don't have a good read on is what his trade value would be on the open market. Do they look to get just a high-level reliever instead of having to go pay $10 million for one of those guys? Maybe they trade. I, I know this would be like... Selling a two years ago MVP candidate for a high-end reliever. It's not great business unless they just genuinely believe, as Tanner said, that he's kind of damaged goods and he's never going to reach that height again. But I I could see maybe that being the route that they decide to go. I do think that they end up trading him, though. I, I think that's something that happens. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, Believe It or Not... Vladimir Tarasenko will be the first player traded from the Blues.
4: I would say I'll believe that one because I think, and we can talk about this in our next segment. But I think any other trades will warrant them maybe a bigger return than Vladdy, which makes me believe that that gets closer to the trade deadline. But I, I think with 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 Vladdy, if a trade were to be happening, I think he might be the first domino to fall. That also that also might be. The trade that warrants, I don't want to say a hockey trade, but brings you in an NHL-tier player. Because somebody's going to have to take dollars in, dollars out if they want Vladimir Tarasenko at 7.5.
0: I think I'm with you. I think I'll believe it that it's Vlad. It's either going to be him or O'Reilly. Those are one of the two that will be the first domino to fall. See,
4: I think O'Reilly's going to be last. Oh, really? I, I think he'll be the last one to go.
0: I guess I could see that because it'll be tough to move out his his dollar figure as well. I, but I'll I'll believe this. I think Vladdy, he's a legit goal scorer. So any team's going to want that. Anybody's searching for more goal scoring once you get to the trade deadline. So I'll believe that he's the first piece that goes.
3: I think I'll believe this as well. I I could see them decide like the easiest thing for a team to do, at least tell me if you disagree with this, Alex, I could be wrong here, but I I think the easiest play type of player for a team to incorporate into your system is just a pure goal scorer. And that's what Vladimir Tarasenko is. So I, I would say it's easier to incorporate a guy like that than some of the other players that the Blues have. I guess it'd probably be easier for, like, a fourth liner, given what the role is. You know exactly what your role is going to
4: be. Yeah, I, I actually think it'd be easier to incorporate a guy like Ryan O'Reilly because he's just so adjustable to any game plan. Is he, though? I mean, we've seen this year that it, yeah, it kind of think- depends
3: on his linemates.
4: Yes, but I also think that if you're putting somebody who is not defensively challenged with him, I think he can play that style. If somebody's trading for Ryan O'Reilly, it's not to be their number one center. Number two. Number two or number three, but to be the defensive, he's going to be penalty kill, probably play the second power play.
3: Somebody on the text line asked a a question that we talked about earlier today, but for a different player. They said, is the Giroud trade a good comp for what the Blues would be expecting for Vladdy?" I think it's actually a good comp for what they would be expecting for Ryan O'Reilly. I think the two are very comparable.
4: Honestly, what I... And I don't even... Trying to think of, of past goal scores that have been traded at the deadline that you could sit there and say, like, this was the comp for Vladimir Teres. like I'd have to go back and look at this. But, yeah, the better comp for Ryan O'Reilly is Claude Giroux. And what he got was Owen Tippett, who's a former 10th overall draft pick. You got a conditional first-round pick for 2024, and you got a third-round draft pick for 2023. Would it Taylor Hall was traded at the deadline, right? No, yeah, he, was he was traded in the offseason.
0: I thought he was dealt the deadline to, to the Boston, deadline. right? Oh uh, yeah.
4: yeah, but he was underperforming at the time. He was traded to New Jersey from Edmonton, but that was the off season where they traded Adam Larson. And he
3: then he was traded to Arizona, right? Or to New Jersey. yeah, he was traded to New Jersey or yeah. to Arizona in season as well. But again he, was, he underperforming. was underperforming. So it that might
4: not be the best comp. Yeah. I, I mean, like trying to think of guys who have been trade like you'd have to go back like Marion Gabrick when he was traded to the New York Rangers. Like what was that return? And that was a while ago. So, I mean, like that's hard to sit there and even come up with if that's a good comp. But when he was traded to the Rangers, uh, he, got I mean, he got a couple of prospects and a six, actually got three really good prospects and a six round pick. So, I mean, but that was back in 2013. So I, I, if you're going to trade any of these guys, The first thing Doug's going to be talking about is draft picks in this year's draft because this is a deep draft according to a lot of people. Then the next step down is guys who could be NHL ready for them. So I would say Claude Giroux is probably going to be your best comp because you're either going to get a guy who could play in your top six, top nine like an Owen Tippett right away, or you're going to get a first-round draft pick.
3: Speaking of trades, are we getting closer to the point of a – trade making sense for Ryan O'Reilly I think the answer might be yes but that doesn't mean that it's definitively going to happen we'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN
2: we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN
3: Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centine Community Ice Center. Center. The Blues are back in action tonight out at Enterprise. Alex, will have your pregame coverage for that beginning at 6 o'clock. A- Alex, I think we should have the, the tough conversation that the Blues are eventually going to get to. Hopefully they don't, actually. But a- as of right now, the trajectory of the season, they, they might have to get here. Fingers crossed they don't. Here's from Jeremy Rutherford. I'm going to read from his article earlier today. Quote, teams around the league may have interest in Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly, but interest would likely be greater closer to the March 3rd deadline than it is currently in November. It's not that easy two months into a season to fit seven and a half million dollars of salary under the cap for contending teams that are already up against the cap ceiling. Perhaps there are smaller deals that Armstrong is working on, and he may pull off one in the coming weeks. Alex, I think that's probably true. And also, I think that we are... Getting close to having the conversations of, will the Blues do with Ryan O'Reilly what the Flyers eventually had to do last year with Claude Giroux? It's an expiring deal. We know that we've had all of the conversations about whether or not this team will or should bring back O'Reilly. Do you think that if this continues, if the trajectory doesn't change and the Blues are just not going to have a good season this year, is it going to make sense eventually for them to trade Ryan O'Reilly in your mind?
4: I hate to say this because I was the one that said they should re-sign this guy, but yeah, I think it might because he's going to warrant the biggest return. Um, Pierre Lebrun had it in his article, too, on The Athletic, talking about you know the return that you could get for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who is a Stanley Cup champion, a Conn Smythe champion. Like If you're a team that wants to win the Stanley Cup this year and needs depth down the middle and a penalty killer – well that's your guy in Ryan O'Reilly. And even if they trade him that's not saying that the Blues don't go back to it and say, "Hey, we'll re-sign Ryan O'Reilly." But if you want if you're going to go into this retool mode then you're going to have to get the most you can at this deadline so that you can utilize it in the offseason. And uh, again, look at Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux is the best example, an expiring free agent. Ryan O'Reilly is actually younger than what Claude Giroux was. Giroux wasn't having the greatest season with the Ottawa Senators. Frankly, nobody really has the – or I'm sorry, with the Philadelphia Flyers. uh, Frankly, nobody really has the greatest season with Philly that year. But he was a minus 15, and he had 18 goals. And he wasn't really passing that much. He didn't have a whole lot of assists. And he got Owen Tippett, who's a former 10th overall draft pick, and you got a first-round pick, and you got a third-round pick. That's what I would imagine Doug Armstrong can look at there. So the problem is you're not making that move until the trade deadline when his salary's cut in half for the rest of the season and teams can take that on. But if the Blues, which I don't know why they wouldn't, take on 50% of his salary, that's going to get you an even bigger return. So as much as people think Vladdy's going to get a really good return, and he might. But Ryan O'Reilly might be the one that I think is going to get dug the most come trade deadline time. And I hate to say it because I didn't want to see this team go to this distance, but this might be the route you have to really start believing if they don't turn things around by the end of this month.
3: Yeah, I I would also add this. I think that the Blues could end up with multiple first-round picks at the trade deadline because of the players that they have to offer. Like, if you have Vladimir Tarasenko going one place and – Uh, Ryan O'Reilly going to another, both of those guys at least have the potential. If the blues are able to eat some of the salary to bring back a first round pick in a trade. So they could have three picks in the first round going into next year. So that, that certainly could help them out with whatever you want to call it. Retool, rebuild uh, reconstruction, whatever it is. I, I would also be curious about this, Alex. Pierre LeBron wrote this earlier today. Horvat doesn't have a no trade clause. So it's a clean process for the Canucks as far as being able to speak to any team. they have plenty of interested clubs, especially if they're willing to eat some of his $5.5 million cap it to maximize the return. Quote It wouldn't surprise me if there are even some non-playoff teams that have interest in Horvat because they could get an early start on July 1 and sign him to an extension. We've seen Doug Armstrong do this before, where he both buys and sells. We've seen other teams around the NHL and across sports, really, buy and sell at the trade deadline. Do you think that's something that could be in play for the Blues, where they say, okay, we're going to eliminate some of the contracts from our books that we didn't, we weren't expecting to resign, and we'll gain assets for them, and we'll also spend some assets to bring in guys that we would have had interest in at the at, on July 1st, that we think are going to be a part of the long-term future of the team. I'm specifically talking here about Horvat, but it could, it could apply to other players as well. Do you think that's something they might look at this year?
4: I, I think they would at least investigate it um, because I think that could really help you turn things around. But then I think you have to also ask the question, if you're Doug Armstrong, if you're going to go down that path, Do you want to take the chance of, I won't say getting better, because if you're trading somebody significant off your roster and bringing somebody else significant on your roster, you're kind of where you were prior to that. But let's say you do make a trade, and this is not going to happen, but let's just say hypothetically that you trade Ryan O'Reilly for Bo Horvat. Do you want to take the chance, if you are going to look at this season, and say, maybe it's best for us to get a top pick in in the lottery so that we can Fast forward this retool rebuild that we're going to be going into. If you bring in a guy like Bo Horvat and resign him, well, now you're going to be adding that salary to the situation, but you're also taking the chance of you maybe getting a little bit better uh, by the end of this season and, and hurting your chances at a top lottery pick. So, I love the idea of Bo Horvat. I brought it up a couple of weeks ago with Mike McKenna, just as a guy that if the Blues continue to win, maybe you go try and get him as a depth piece for that for a Stanley Cup run, but. I think if I were to make a trade like that, I would rather get assets and prospects than get a guy back and try and get him on my team via free agency. I think it really just depends
3: on how how long they think this rebuild process is going to be because yeah. Bo Horvat is 27 years old. He's going to be 28 next year. He's a guy that has consistently scored 20 to 30 goals per season. He's around a 50-ish point producer on, a, on an annual basis. He is good defensively. He plays about 20 minutes per night. If they think that he lines up more with their timeline than Ryan O'Reilly does, and Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I would think that the money might not be all that dissimilar
4: between the two. Yeah, I mean, Horvath's going to get probably somewhere between seven, seven and a half mil. And O'Reilly was, I mean, you're probably talking, his, his money's going to be similar. Two more. Yeah, but his money was going to also be similar to what Vladdy's making this year. So, so you're, you're taking out Vladdy and you're putting in Bo Horvath. You
3: could make it work yeah. uh, long term on on the books. Well,
4: especially if you're going to go into a retool, rebuild mode because you're going to be trying to sell off assets that have more money on the books for next season. And so
3: what what the reason why I think he specifically might make some sense for them is because now you've fixed that, you've asked in the past, okay, who's that center going to be? Well, maybe your top two centermen moving forward would be Ryan O. Or excuse me, Robert Thomas. Freudian slip there, and Bo Horvat, and then your number three center probably would be Braden Shin in this scenario, and you just piece things together around those guys, and that becomes your future middle of the lineup. And now you decide, okay, what are our wingers going to look like? Who do we want to keep around here long term? I think something like this would potentially make some sense for the Blues. I I do wonder though, as you mentioned how much talent they want to add at the deadline. If they are in real contention for a top five to 10 pick, yes. that, that would be where I think it gets.
4: Tough. And somebody texted in and said, you don't need low picks in the first round. You need high picks in the first round. Well, you're going under the assumption that you have the highest pick in the first round. What you're also getting is you're getting multiple picks so that you can package those together. And look, this isn't saying that you spend four draft picks on the first round this year in the draft. If that's the route you go, you could use yours and, and then trade the other 3 to get a competent player back. This is how you fast-paced a rebuild. You don't just go into it and say well, we're going to be awful for 4 years. You're going to want to get a high-level talent and you want to click on it. That's going to be your pick, but those other draft picks that you acquire, well those can turn into trading for a player that might get traded in another team feels like that they need to go into a rebuild or you get prospects in return. And this is this was pure speculation, but I saw somebody bring up Uh, The Detroit Red Wings possibly acquiring Ryan O'Reilly at the trade deadline, which shouldn't surprise anybody. It's the Blues 2.0. But they've got a ton of young guys that may make sense for Doug Armstrong that don't have a place on the Detroit Red Wings team that feels like they want to start competing in the next couple of years. So I think Doug's mindset is if they go down that path, which again, we are way too premature on that, but if Pierre Lebrun's writing about it, that means there's people talking about it. If you go down that path, the biggest returns I think Doug's going to be looking for is first round draft picks and prospects because that is going to fast start this rebuild that they're going for
3: coming up next with the BK and Ferrario rewind here on 101 ESPN
2: we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN
3: From today's show, it's been a depressing one. Check it out on the podcast page. 101 ESPN. There's your enticement. The free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs, Tire, and Auto Centers. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario broadcasting live from the e Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, if you want some optimism, because I feel like it's been a downer
4: of a show. I need it because... You have ruined me for today.
3: Yeah, I, I get it. There's been a lot of depressing Cardinals conversations. This is less depressing. This came from Jeff Passan. He had a good article earlier today on kind of setting the stage for what the offseason's going to look like. And in his article, they asked him, hey, who are the teams that you expect to be the most active this offseason? He said, certainly this list could change depending on the market dynamics and the whims of ownership. But the most active teams this winter, according to the people that he has spoken to, are expected to be. A lot of these are the teams that you would expect. The Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, Giants, Rangers, Phillies, Mariners, Cubs, Twins, Orioles, and the Cardinals.
4: You just named half of the league. Yes. So half of the league is going to be active and the Cardinals have to compete with the other half.
3: The team in that grouping that I think they need to pay the most attention to, or at least fans should be paying the most attention to, is the Giants.
4: Oh, really? I was going
3: to say the Rangers reason why I say the Giants is because I think they're going to be in a similar pool of players that they're both searching for. I think oh, the Cardinals and the Giants are both looking for stars. I don't think they're looking for, Hey, let's go get a middle of the rotation starter. They've got those guys. They don't need a, Hey, we need a platoon bat in the outfield. They've got all those guys. The Giants need a starting catcher. The Cardinals need a starting catcher. The Giants are reportedly looking at Aaron judge and the shortstop market and, like basically all of the high-end players on the market. Well, we know the Cardinals aren't there anymore. We thought that the Cardinals might be doing the same thing. And hey, you know, maybe they surprise us still. I think the Giants are the most similar team or the team that's in the most similar spot to the Cardinals going into this offseason. But what do you make of that overall with Passon saying, hey, he expects the Cardinals to be one of the most active teams this year in the offseason.
4: Well, considering that I was told today that they don't have money to spend because their payroll is already up, that would yeah, tell me... they still got $20 million. That would tell me that they're going to be active on the trade market and they've got the pieces to be active on the trade market. So as down as we have been about that side of the free agency, the Cardinals do have the luxury and upper hand to swing some trades for some big-time players, and it just depends on who's available. We talked about Teoscar Hernandez if they want to go that route. We've talked about all of the catchers. You brought up Mike Trout's name again before the show. Do you want to get people excited about that? So there was
3: a like a, a little inclusion of Mike Trout in Mark Feinstein's article. BK
4: found Uncle Buck in the movie, been in the middle of <laughs> Walmart. It
3: was uh, the elf on the shelf is basically what I found in Mark Feinstein's piece, where it was this nice little thing, like a, a found, parcel of information. He found
4: Ghostbusters 2 on VHS. So
3: he said, hey, you know, one of the teams that I would still keep an eye on if somebody gets a little frisky out there is the Angels. Because they've still got the ownership t- change that could take place this offseason, and they might want to cut payroll. And if they do, there are two candidates to do so. It's Shohei Ohtani, who they have said outright is not getting traded this offseason. But reminder, Mike Rizzo also said that he wasn't trading Juan Soto. Guess who got traded? And then he shook hands with John Mozalak and the entire Cardinals nation blew up. And Juan Soto is now Padre. For the Angels, if they are going to shed salary, there's two guys that could do it. It's Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani. I... I- I think Shohei would be the much more likely guy to trade. It's going to warrant more in return. I can't imagine a more Cardinals trade than trading for somebody like Mike Trout who is in his early 30s, it has a bloated contract that the Angels would probably have to pay some of and the Cardinals would say they're paying the whole thing. <laughs> and you <laughs> you end up is. getting a superstar player on a below market value deal that the back end of it might hurt but again you're getting one of the like 10 best players in the sport conservative
4: yeah, i'm not i don't think he's going to get traded though i agree with that but what i'm saying is if i hear jeff Paston say he believes the cardinals are going to be active this offseason, season that tells me active in the trade market but that also tells me they could just say hey we called around to some, uh, some teams to find out if there were any trades but we just didn't get any of those trades done. So uh, here is Kevin Kiermeyer. Here is Danny Jansen. Enjoy your off-season card. How do you Nation. guys
3: feel about tomorrow doing a choose-your-own-adventure? Oh no, Cardinals no,
0: man, off-season it'll, it'll edition. It'll ruin my friend with yeah. the
3: new parameters. Yeah, no man. longer
4: talking about forty look, or fifty
3: mil to spend. No, 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 no. Look, now we got twenty. We mil already to spend. got the
4: Pickums to deal with. I don't need two depressing segments of doing that and the Pickum of a Cardinals middle-tier off-season. I
3: think that's what we do tomorrow. Oh, we will do great. a choose-your-own-adventure Cardinals off-season edition tomorrow looking forward to that we also have eno saris joining us we'll ask him what he thinks about what the a's are looking for for sean murphy so we've got plenty to get into tomorrow that's coming up tomorrow from 11 to 2 we will talk to you guys then the fast lane coming up next year on 101 espn
2: um not great you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn